The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Um, since we don't, we don't have, we don't record an intro for Spotify anymore. So okay. Tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Matthew Iglesias. I'm the host of the the Weeds Podcast, the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm also the author of the Slow Boring Newsletter and a book, One Billion Americans. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Pull the sucker up so it's like one fist away from your face. There All right. you go. Perfect. All right. I'm um, closer. One billion Americans. It's a lot. So explain, if you could, um, give us the cliff notes of what the concept of one billion Americans is. Okay. So the concept is that there should be a billion Americans. Um, like to keep it simple. Now, so so here's the idea, right? So uh, we got China. It's growing out there. There's a lot of concern, you know, internationally about America's role in the world. We've also got a lot of polarization in our politics, a lot of sort of gridlock, deadlock, uh, kind of stagnation and, and infighting. And I, I'm a politics guy. I live in D.C., cover Congress. I wanted to write a book that kind of elevates beyond that, thinks about America's role in the world and says the way we are going to meet this challenge of rising international competition is the way we became such a great power historically. And that's by growing our population with more openness to immigrants, doing more to support parents and young families. And then everything that comes downstream from that, you know, where are people going to live? How are we going to get around? How are we going to solve those problems? Um, How much pushback have you gotten from this idea? Because it seems like a lot of people think that overpopulation is a giant problem. And then when you say we should triple plus the amount of people in the United States we want to compete with the rest of the world, I would imagine a lot of people are like, what are you smoking, Matthew Iglesias? No, the, I mean, the book's really good. So everyone who reads it is just like, <laughs> oh, you convinced me. And at least you're humble. There's, there's no pushback at all. Um, no, uh, yes, uh, there is concern about overpopulation. That's something that, you know, so there's people from the right, they don't like immigrants, they don't like immigration, and Why they, is they that? see it through that let's, lens. Let's start with that, well, because this is a country of me. immigrants. It's a, it's a very strange thing to have a country that is entirely comprised of people who came from somewhere else other than Native Americans, right? Entirely comprised, and yet there's a giant population that doesn't like immigrants. Yeah, I mean, look, some of it's a question of taste. You know, people like different places. People like different kinds of things. I think the best parts of America are places that have a lot of people from different places. Yeah. To me, you know, whether that's that's Austin, where we are, New York, where I'm from, it's like, it's cool. Like, that's America at its best. Some people don't like it. Uh, there's also the legality question, though, right? Starting in the 1980s and 1990s, we built up a substantial group of people who were living here illegally. Uh, I'm for, you know, a, it started in the 80s. Is that when it really started? Yeah, I mean, that's when it really took off. Was uh, it because the regulations were make, made more stringent? Well, so what happened was in 1996, uh, they they changed the law. They uh, IRERA is the acronym for it, and they made it a lot harder for people who had come here without papers to quote unquote get legal. So even if you put roots down, even if you were married to an American citizen, there was no way to obtain legal status. They also made it harder to cross the border. So it used to be people would come over, they'd pick vegetables in California for a season, and then they'd just go back, right? They'd go back to Mexico, take their money with them, get a nice house. They made it harder to cross the border so people would stay. And people who stayed had no way to get a legal status here. So unauthorized population, it built up, it built up, it built up. There's a movement on one side to say, 
well, we should create a path to citizenship for those people. Most of them, they're living here peacefully. They're working hard. They're not doing anything. That That's where I stand. But there's people who say, look, you know, they broke the rules. We, we got to be harsh. So we've been arguing about that unauthorized immigration so viciously. And I think we've lost sight of the fact that, you know, we can just create legal pathways for people to come. You know, some people will say, well, my my grandparents, my parents, whoever, they they came the right way. They they didn't want to yeah, be legal. But it was easy then. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's a totally true. So my great-grandparents, they came to this country at a time when there was no restriction yeah, on people. Yeah, my grandparents as well. They just came over from Italy. It was yeah. not that hard. So good for them, right? Yeah. And so, like, yes, like, we should have a legal process for people to come. We can have rules, you know, try to make sure you're, like, say, you, you should be working age, right? You should come here get a job, pay taxes. You can't just like come across and collect social security. Yeah, but, Fair enough. But, but obviously but, you're okay with children coming across as well. Yeah. Like, like whether they're adopted once they get here or whether they come here with their parents or... I yeah. mean, we should make it possible, right? Yes, it, it, we should make it possible. That's a, gr- a great way of putting it. And that's how you could not have people breaking the rules. Yeah. That's to me. But, you know, a lot of people on the right don't see it that way. Now, on the left, there's some folks, you know, people are concerned about the environment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned, too. I don't, I don't want to breathe polluted air. I don't want, like, cities underwater. Uh, but there's a strain of sort of eco-apocalyptic thinking, mm-hmm. you know, where people say, oh, like, we can't handle it. Like, only degrowth is going yes. to save us. And I, I just don't think that's right. You know, I am bullish on technology, right? We've got more and more clean energy sources. We've got better and better electric cars. There's more stuff we can do with electrification. We, we need to take those steps, but we can have a prosperous, sustainable society that has plenty of people in it that has high living standards, uh, things like that. So we don't need to worry about that. A lot of Americans also just overestimate how many people are here. So a billion sounds like a lot. It's, it's about triple our current population. But that would give us the population density of France. It would give us about half the density of Germany, uh, way less than half the density of the United Kingdom. And, you know, if you've ever been to the UK, it's like, it's a nice country. They got mm-hmm. London, big city. Yeah. They got countryside. They got rolling hills. They got sheep. You go up to Scotland, like, there's fucking nobody there. Um, so, like, we could have all kinds of places with a billion Americans, countryside, suburbs, cities, all kinds of stuff. What's the benefit of having all those people, though? Uh, So two benefits, right? So one, I think internationally, you know, the United States has been like the number one country for 100 years, give or take, right? Uh, We're the the, the biggest dog out there. You know, everybody knows better than to mess with us. And we're losing that status. You know, we're losing that status economically to China. They're doing more stuff like, you know, telling NBA coaches, like what they can tweet, what they can't tweet. They're censoring Hollywood movies because they've got the number one market out there. You can get into scarier stuff eventually, you know, South China Sea, naval battles. I'm not like a war guy, but yeah, you don't want that. I think I think we want to stay number one. And growth has been important to that historically, right? Like why is the United States a big deal country and Canada is like, you know, like our cute little brother? And it's because a lot of people live here. You know, Canada's nice, but there's no people, no real strength there. Second, I think it'll make us a more prosperous country. Uh, what we do as 
modern day Americans is we do stuff for each other, right? Whether that's we make show, we write books, uh, we, we teach in schools, we run restaurants, we're doing services to each other. And you get more prosperity when you have more people and more ability to sort of have those interactions. When you're talking about China and the NBA and Hollywood movies, a lot of people think of those things, those the interactions that Hollywood has that and the NBA has with China as being insidious. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't think it's a good thing at all that China has that kind of an influence. And they also think it's embarrassing. Like a lot of people think that it's embarrassing for the NBA to when the negative tweets, uh, when they're in support of Hong Kong, and then uh, all of a sudden there was some pushback and the NBA was removed from viewership and mm -hmm. China and there was uh, a lot of sponsorships being pulled and it became a giant issue and then all of a sudden you saw the NBA kind of backtrack and kind of kowtow and a lot of people found that to be pretty disgusting. We don't want the United States to ever be a country that's doing that to China, right? If China has a bunch of, I don't know what they're really into over there, ping pong players? Like what's their, what's their primary sport? I don't know. They have a lot of basketball. Basketball, they like basketball. So imagine if Chinese basketball becomes super popular in the United States and then uh, the Chinese basketball players in the United States start talking shit about how Apple uses slave labor. Mm -hmm. And uh, we go, hey, hey, watch your fucking mouth, bro. We won't, we won't pay for your Chinese basketball anymore. And then all of a sudden China backs off. Like, we would think of that as being pretty gross by the United States of I ignoring some human rights violations or, or trying to whitewash them and trying to economically attack another country. So like, the saying that it's a positive that China has all these people and using as an example the fact that they strong arm Hollywood and they strong arm the NBA, a lot of people think that's moving in the wrong direction, me included. Like, I don't want Well, that. no, I, I don't think it's positive. I'm saying right. we need to be in a position to level the playing field. But is right? that leveling the playing field or will we just... Look, we're... Corporations have a, a giant problem with infinite growth, right? Yep. This is a thing that seems completely, totally preposterous, but it's the norm and the standard in the business world. You you want your growth to increase every year, no matter what, and God knows where that goes. I'm not a mathematician <laughs> or an economist, but if you, you extrapolate and keep going with that, it leads to preposterous outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. That's what people would be worried about tenfold if there's a billion people here. They'd be like, oh my God, we'd be even more ruthless and more cutthroat and and more like maybe more competitive with the rest of the world, but in what way? Well, so here, let, let's talk about the China okay. thing, right? So the NBA is under China's thumb yeah. because they need access to that market. Do they Hollywood, though? Well, do they, they think they do. Aren't they right? rich as fuck? <laughs> so we could say, right, maybe we need to have a rule that says like, well, you know, you you can't let the Chinese censor your shit, right? Yeah. But the the relative size of the markets is going to matter, right? So we're we're on Spotify here, right? So that's a Swedish Swedish company, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, they make they, great meatballs, I hear. Absolutely, it's a lovely country, right? <laughs> it's a but small so country. so Sweden's a little country, right? Yeah. All their companies, you know, you're talking Volvo, Scania, mm -hmm. Spotify. They're dependent on a global marketplace. They mm. need access, right? If China is the biggest market in the world, ultimately, they're going to find themselves playing by China's rules. If America stays the biggest market in the world, then we can play by our rules 
And not that we should use the the way China does, right? We shouldn't say like, no, nobody can say bad stuff about America. America, we've got a great tradition of free speech here, uh, despite some tensions. Uh, It's a world difference from China. And we carry so many other countries, smaller countries from Europe, Canada, Australia, on our backs in that regard as creating a sort of cornerstone of openness as a leading market in the world. That's how it's been for so long that people don't even think about it. But if we go into a world where China's the number one economy, where that's the number one market, where that's what every company cares most about China's rules, then we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble here. The Swedes are going to be in trouble. And I don't think that's a world we should look forward to. Why do you think that increasing the population threefold is the way, or by three times, is Mm -hmm. that the only way that we can be competitive in the world? Is that the only way? Or what, what, when you came to that conclusion by ramping it up to a billion people, like what, what led you to that? And did you know you're being pro- provocative? Was that part of what you were doing? Like, this is going to fucking piss people off a little bit. <laughs> I, I like to provoke. I think, I think you may be familiar with the, that as, a, as an approach. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I wanted to grab people's attention. You know, I didn't want to be boring. I don't like being boring. Right. Um, it's a nice round number, obviously. Also, <laughs> science delivered it. Uh, it was Science when I, delivered it? What science? When I realized that a billion is triple, it's also, it, it sets, it's, if, if the U.S. population were to grow as fast as Canada's is growing for the next 80 years, then we hit a billion at the end of the century. That's the official math. That's really? Yeah. The reality Canada's is- Canada's growing that quickly? They're fast. No. So it's a lot of really people coming nice. in. How do we do that? How be, we, be so polite. How would be as nice as them? Yeah, I don't know. Isn't that, is that a goal we should work towards? <laughs> Being as like, nice as Canadians? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So, uh, you know, I'm from, um, I'm from New York. We're a little brusque there. But I, you're nice. I, uh, kind of. You seem we'll like see. a nice guy so far. Well, because we're here in the South now. Oh, so, so we got to be tight, nice. Uh, we got to we got to ask we got to ask southerners how to be more polite like Canadians. Well, one of the things that I think and one of the things that I've said about uh, Austin in particular is that I love the fact that there's friendly people and I think one of the reasons why they're friendly is there's not that many of them. Hmm. They value people more. I think people get devalued when you get high population densities. I'm not saying that it has to be like Los Angeles in order to reach three billion or a billion mm-hmm. people in this country, rather. I don't think it does, right? It's not like you're trying to turn the whole country into Los Angeles. Nah. But there's a problem with Los Angeles. And I think one of the problems with Los Angeles is there's an insane amount of people jammed into one area. Hmm. And when you're on the highway, like if you drive and you have to go to Orange County and you're on the 405, <laughs> you just want Godzilla to come out of the ocean and just start eating cars. You're like, this is fucking <laughs> ridiculous. There's so many people. And it never ends. It's like every time you want to go, if you want to go to Orange County, say if you want to go to, want to go to Disneyland or something like that, yeah. and take your family, you got to leave hours earlier, hours earlier than you think you need to. You want to be there by five p.m. Oh Christ, you got to leave at like two. You got to leave maybe at one thirty if you want to be safe. Leave at one thirty, and you'll be stuck in fucking insane traffic and never-ending road construction, and it never ends. And a lot of people get they get real testy when there's that many people and. This has been recreated in rat population density studies. I'm sure you've probably gotten into some of this when you started looking at the Well, the, the rats population. don't really drive, though. They don't. But they, it does, when, when they have these rat population density studies, it does mimic what happens in big cities in terms of violence, in terms of mental illness. 
Like when you have a certain amount of rats in a large containment, you, you know about all this, right? Yeah, I, I got it, rats, yeah. Yeah, but have you ever... <laughs> I have, yeah, yeah. Rid, rid, or rid, rid, rid rather, any I of this have. stuff? Yeah. So, okay, so let, let's, let's distinguish a couple things, right? Okay. So I'm not so sure about the friendliness, right? Because you run into like... I don't want to cast dispersions, but you've been to like New Hampshire, yes. like small towns up there. People there, they're, they're kind of assholes. Uh, we kind of keep to ourselves <laughs> up here. Yeah, so yeah. Pe- people are friendly here, but you know, there's there's some small town weirdos uh, up in New England. I have uh, a theory about that as well. Los Angeles, now the traffic, right on. You know, I'm every time I go to Southern California, I think, oh man, this weather's nice. People here must be happy all the time. And then I try to meet up with somebody. And I get on the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, so, you know, that's going to make people mad. Now, the rats, right? So what they're studying there, I think, is crowding, mm-hmm. you know, which yes. is not exactly the same as density. Because we, you know, like we build buildings, right? Mm-hmm. So people in New York have small houses by American standards, but big houses by European standards or Japanese standards, right? We're still taking up space because we're, we're sort of building structures. Uh, so I think we have to look at what we're doing with our housing laws, with our land use laws. Uh, one of the reasons Texas has been such a center of growth, so many people are coming here, is that the Texas legal framework actually lets you come here, right? You want to throw up some houses in the Austin area, Houston, Dallas, you can do it. So you can get affordable space and more and more people are coming in and it's a it's an asset for the state, right? Mm-hmm. Like people like you, all, all kinds of folks come in here. Uh, the governor brags about it all the time. I think Hewlett Packard is uh, coming to Houston or something. And it's really good. It's a big it's a big kind of success story. And in California, they got terrible, terrible problem where a lot of people want to go there because it's nice. California's nice, right? But they can't find a place to live. They can't get space and they can't sort out their transportation infrastructure. Los Angeles poured all this money into building out the LA Metro, but then they didn't align their zoning, you know, so people don't live near the stations. Right. So nobody rides the thing. Well, it's also, there's a culture of dr- driving your own vehicle that's been firmly established in Los Angeles. Mm. And it's very difficult for get, to get people to deviate from their habits. Yeah. But also, you can't, I mean, you can't take a train if it doesn't go where you're going. Right. If you don't sure. live by it, right? Yeah. So, you know, my cousin, she was living, she, she was taking the metro to work for a while. And, you know, good for her. But it was, like, very unusual out there. I'm for, I live in D.C. now. A lot of people ride the metro there, right? And, you know, it's people from all over. People are used to cars. But when you have a well-designed system where people live near the stations, where the jobs are near, where they come together, you know, people do it. It's convenient. You can, you know, read a book, uh, right. something like that. Well, we don't we don't want to encourage people to read on their commutes. You stick stick to the podcast. Well, listen, but... if you can, but whatever you want, I mean, you, you can make a great argument for it being far more relaxing. All you have to do is just sit down. You don't have to think about traffic. Right. You, you zone just, out. You zone out. You can read a book, like you said. You could read the paper and want to kill yourself. You could watch uh, on your phone. You know, whatever it is you got. Yeah, there's plenty of things you can do, and it it's, it can be. Rela- I have friends that uh, live in Westchester, and they uh, they they take public take that metro north down. Yeah, yeah. and it's great. I've d- I used to do it when I lived in New Rochelle. Did it all the time. Yeah, New Rochelle. Yeah, I used to live in New Rochelle. Well, there you go. Yeah. Nice place. So, you know, so I, I think that there's ways to create those kind of like, you know, low-key virtues. Mm-hmm. People have nice-sized houses. People have nice commutes while also having growth, right, but, and having some sustainability. But uh, uh, the other thing is that, like, we as a country need to get along with each other. Yes. More. 
than we have been doing lately. For sure. And I do think that focusing on what brings us together versus some of the other governments out there and on the possibilities of growth like actually helps do that. Like I'm a I'm a liberal person, a left of center person. Me as um, well. But I get pushback from people, you know, quote unquote, on my side, just about the idea of patriotism in the book, the idea of national greatness, the idea that America should want to be number one. Right. But I think that's something that's important to a lot of people, moderate people, conservative people. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's not about And I don't think it has to be xenophobic either. Well, and I think it's part of inclusiveness, right? Like what holds this country together? people with different religions, people with different ethnic backgrounds, people with different ideas, is loyalty to, you know, certain concepts, right? Mm -hmm. Like high-level political concepts. And it's not bad to be a little corny and, you know, wave the flag a little bit if that's how, like, we can all be Americans together. Right. And to me, that's that's important, you know? And I was surprised doing some of the virtual touring on this at how much uh, conservative people were like, wow, I can't believe you wrote this book. And how much some people on the left were just skeptical of not like the specific ideas, but of the general concept of like wanting America to be awesome. Of, of positive feeling about nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. Nationalism. When you say even the word to the, something's happened over the last decade where you say the word nationalism and some how it gets even it, like it gets equated at least peripherally or in the neighborhood of white nationalism mm -hmm. it's like it's one of those weird words you know like if you say uh you know i'm a texas chauvinist mm -hmm. like what do you mean do you hate <laughs> women like no, no 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 i just think texas is the best right like people will get mad at you because it's too close to male chauvinist like male chauvinist <laughs> is a common phrase if you say you're a patriot, people go, oh, great. You're stockpiling food and guns, and you're ready to take over, and you only like white people, right? Like, that's no, and, weird and it should be the opposite, right? Yes. That if you think about, you know, the history of what white nationalism in America, right? It's an anti-American yes. movement. This 100%. is a, the, the Abraham Lincoln is an American Yes. nationalist right and you know when civil rights martin luther king is appealing to the values of the declaration of independence yeah. this is a country e pluribus unum obviously obviously america like bad things have happened we have not lived up to those ideals but those are the ideals of america what yes. it is to be an american nationalist is to believe in that kind of human equality and not abandon universal it. rights right and it's antithetical to the sort of racist and exclusionary visions that people have. But it's important to hold to that, right? To that notion of an inclusive nation that has a national identity. I think rather than sort of surrender the idea to the most right-wing people. Yeah, I think the idea of America should be like the greatest house party ever. Like everybody can come over. <laughs> that's that's what it should be. It yeah. should. White nationalism is just fucking stupid. I mean, you're just fools. Like the idea that only melanin—that's what counts—and only European heritage—that's what counts. Everything else, like, it's nonsense. It's just—it's one of the dumbest ideas ever. And then, it, it's also—it's a—it's a scared person's version of america mm -hmm. and the problem with the concept of nationalism being equated to white nationalism like 
you, you're giving that word up right. for ca- to cowards. Like white nationalists, are, they're, you're a coward. You're afraid of what are you afraid of? You're afraid of brown people, black people, yellow people. You only like white people. I only like people who look similar to me. That's one of the dumbest ideas of all time. And the fact that that idea is still it's so prevalent that you have to argue against it. That it's it's one of those things like you know it's real. Like until Charlottesville happened, mm-hmm. when you see those guys walking with the tiki torches going, they will not replace us. <laughs> like I was like, that's never going to happen again. If you if if that hadn't happened, I would have said. There's no way after the civil rights movement, after all we've been through, particularly today with the internet and the way people can exchange ideas, there's no fucking chance you're going to have a bunch of assholes that only think that America is supposed to be about white people and they're walking down the street with Home Depot torches. <laughs> it's like one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Well, you so know, I, the whole the whole replace us thing, yeah. right? Like, it's so insecure, mm-hmm. you know, because you go to like, you go to France, exactly. right? And they're paranoid that our like McDonald's and our fucking movies are going to take over and right. like replace their culture. But like nobody is replacing us. Right. Like it's our American culture is awesome. Yeah, and, like, it, is, it but dominates it's also, everywhere. The, but and they pe- will not replace us. It's well they will if you suck. <laughs> like are you yeah, saying well, well, you should be allowed to suck and be we're, white? We're going to we're going to replace those guys. Yeah, um, like but you know, but it's like nobody. That's really the irony, right? Like, if you think like that, bitch, you're gonna get replaced. But you know, but people who come here, right? Uh, people come from Latin America. People come from Africa. Historically, people come from Europe. Now, more and more people come from Asia. They don't replace anybody. Yes. When they come in, right? It's right. an additive thing. You know, yes. there's like cool stuff. I went. Um, to in in the suburbs of DC, there's a lot of Vietnamese people, a lot of Vietnamese restaurants out there. The last time I went out to get a banh mi place, there was a uh, a Cajun uh, Viet Cajun crawfish broil thing, which comes from Houston because Vietnamese people came there, Louisiana people came to Houston. They got this fusion cuisine. Now they exported it to other Vietnamese enclaves around America. God damn it, Matthew, you made me hungry. That sounds fucking great. Someday someone's gonna open one of those places Mm. in Ho Chi Minh City. You know, right, like it's gonna right. it's gonna come back out. Like yes. there's, uh, I mean, uh, they, I, I went to uh, Shanghai and I met somebody there whose idea was they were starting a business that had fortune cookies, because uh, that's that shit's American, right? You know, but it's cool. So fortune cookies came from America. They added it to American Chinese food. Yeah. No, okay. well, that makes sense. It's a uh, friend of mine, Jenny Eight Lee. She wrote a book uh, called Fortune Cookie Chronicles. You want to talk it's about, about a... it's about Chinese food. It's really the only. I wish I could write a book about Chinese food. Uh, but it's a fascinating subject. Fortune cookies, 100% American. It seems like an American thing. But you want to talk about an industry that clearly has had no growth. The fortune cookie industry is stagnated. <laughs> the English is so bad. Still, the fortunes aren't even fortunes. Like my fucking 10-year-old read a fortune cookie the other day. She goes, how is this a fortune? Well, if you made the English good, people would realize it's not Chinese. Mm. You gotta, oh, you so gotta it's fake on purpose. It. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I'm just bullshit. You might no. <laughs> I think I agree with you. You might have a point. That might really be why they made it bad. I think it's why. I mean, you could hire somebody to write a fortune in English. That's not hard. Yeah, I'll do it. But it's also they're not fucking fortunes, man. <laughs> you know, like a lot of times they're like, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. What the fuck? Like I got robbed. Well, they got lottery numbers though. You, oh, you, they you do play that those too. lotto numbers and you get rich. 
That's my <sighs> that's my tip to you out there. God, it's so dumb. And it's uh, it's also not a delicious cookie. I'm yes. going to say it. Okay. If fortune cookies were for sale and they didn't have a fortune inside of them, they would never survive. Right? It's, that's It's true. like Chick-fil-A's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what you don't see? Turkey filet. <laughs> turkey can't survive without Thanksgiving. If it wasn't for Thanksgiving, the turkey industry would be fucked. They rely on one day a year. Well, but also sandwiches. People get like a turkey sandwich at the deli. Boring people. Yeah. Boring people that are yeah. afraid of like salami. You ever been? So I went years ago. I went to, uh, I was in Southern Mexico in Oaxaca and I went to a restaurant there and there was just turkey on the menu. Just turkey? And it, oh, no, no. I mean, it's not only turkey, but, oh. but there was turkey dish on the menu, right? And it threw me for a fucking loop because who eats turkey? Right. Outside, outside of, Thanksgiving, of Thanksgiving, right? But apparently in Mexico and Central America, it's like a thing. That's hmm. where turkeys are from. Uh, so turkey with the mole poblano. And, uh, oh, okay. It's pretty good. But, oh, that does sound but good. But it goes to show it's a kind of flavorless meat. You right, get, but they use you, you the, get the that, strong Mexican spices. Yeah, you get you get that big sauce on it. And yeah. That's what makes it work. So sometime next year maybe I'll get my get my mole Thanksgiving. Going. Well what I do is with leftovers, I take leftover Thanksgiving turkey and I'll just take a plate and dunk some habanero sauce all over the plate <laughs> and then dip the pieces of turkey in that habanero sauce and woo there now you, you go. got a, now you got a party. It's all happening. Yeah. Um, but that with mole sauce that sounds outstanding. that sounds good. Now now I'm I'm seeing the flavors come together. <laughs> I made a turkey this year, and I brined it for the first time. Yeah. I've never brined a turkey. That's what the experts oh, say. It was sensational. Yeah. It was so good. Turkey's a thing, though, that's really best served right after you get it out of the oven. Like It's really best served like while it's still really hot. You know, But while it was hot, it was so juicy. It was the juiciest turkey I've ever... I, I cooked it on a Traeger grill, which is like a pellet I was going to say, I was going to say, my friend's got a smoker. It makes, yes. it makes smoked turkeys. Yes. Those are good. They're juicy. They're oh, fucking great. It was so and then good. you get some turkey out of your oven. Yeah, it's kind of it dry. Sucks. It's a different kind of heat. And it's also, it's like, there's something about cooking with that indirect heat from the smoke. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like uh, like cooking over a regular grill, you know, because the, the smoke is really doing all the cooking for you. It's almost like a... It, and they're, they 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 seal so good that it's like you're not losing moisture and you've got this amazing retention of heat and like so the temperature stays at a good. But having the the turkey brined first, man, that made such a big difference. It was so juicy and deli- and it made me think like, okay, so hey assholes, if you just do this with all turkeys, then people would be ordering turkey all over the place. Just and, brine it, and they would say how great this turkey is. Just brine it. But if you if you're a restaurant and you have turkey on the menu and you have turkey right next to like a, a T-bone steak, people are going like, mm. it's gonna be a steak every time. Yeah, I'm not going with the turkey. Get the I agree. I'm not. I'm not a turkey guy. Yeah, it's. I don't know how we got on this. But chicken is delicious. Chicken is like chicken. Here's a weird thing about chicken. It used to be expensive. Like there's one of the. Uh, I think it was which president that was running for office. And one of his promises was a chicken in every pot. That was Hoover, right? Was going to give was. us a chicken in every pot. And, yes. then we, and then we got the depression. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, chicken was high end. Now, I saw, unfortunately, my uh, my knowledgeable friends say that the chickens are in horrifically cruel conditions. Many and are. And that's how they got so cheap. So That's true. I don't know. But you can buy free range chickens. Yeah. You just have to make sure that you're ethical in your pursuit of you know, where, where you're chickens are grown find like, the good ones yeah it's but even then be a backyard know, chicken person being a backyard like the, chicken like person the weirdos in portland yeah i was a backyard chicken person but oh, yeah. it be turned into a coyote apocalypse those <laughs> motherfuckers they killed all my chickens slowly it took it took a long time but they eventually got them all 
we we also went through a fire and the fire actually burned down our chicken coops but the chickens got out while the fire was burning their chicken coop it created a hole and they got out and they were wandering around the yard and so we saved them from that and then put them into a smaller chicken coop but uh the area that we lived in there was so much fire that i think the amount of animals was greatly reduced and um, the coyotes, they got very clever, and they literally pulled the chicken wire off of the chicken coop and created a small hole big enough for them to get inside, and then it was a slaughter fest. Which is why I stay in big cities. I'm afraid yeah. of the coyotes. Oh, that's the problem. Coyotes are everywhere now. Shit. They're in every city in the country. Wait, really? Yeah. Man. Coyotes are a fascinating animal. If you want to really get into what happens when uh, animals get pressured and mm-hmm. like different methods of adaptation, there's a great book by Dan Flores called Coyote America. And uh, it's all about the coyote and, and how the reason why they – one of the reasons why they spread across the country, they were persecuted first by wolves. Mm-hmm. Like when wolves would encounter coyotes, they would kill the coyotes. The wolves are bullying them? They killed them. Because they were competing for yeah. food. So the coyotes learned how to spread their range. And they also developed this method of, of roll call. Like wolves do it as well. They howl and they, they find out where everybody is. When coyotes do it, when the female coyotes recognize that coyotes are missing, all of a sudden her egg production ramps up and she gives birth to more pups. So when more coyotes are missing, they don't just they don't just come into estrus they actually produce more puppies and so then they expand the range so they were originally persecuted in the west that's where they really existed in mm-hmm. the southwest and the west now they're in new york city Shit. they're everywhere so that's gonna be the Chicago. sequel one billion coyotes dude there's a fat one living on my block he is fucking <laughs> fat my friend showed me a picture of it i was like oh my god Look at the size of this coyote. He's like a f- well-fed dog. Huh. There's so many deer out here. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I guess they're just eating fawns and you know and whatever else they can find because there's a lot of wildlife in sure. Texas. But yeah, coyotes are uh, they're they're literally in every city. Every San Francisco has coyotes everywhere. Now I'm scared. Houston coyotes. Now I'm scared. Yeah. Scared to leave the house. Don't be scared. Scared of anything. Don't be scared. Scared to come on here. I think. Will you? I'm gonna get canceled. You think so? Yeah. Again. Mm. Are you really worried about that? Well, people, people are mad about you. Mm. Me too. Mm. I don't know. People are mad. <sighs> yeah, people are mad. They're mad about everything. They're not necessarily mad about actual content. They're mad about perceptions. They're mad about what they want you to be versus what you actually are sometimes, you know? <laughs> and then they're also, you're dealing with, it's not a large number of people that are mad. It's a, a small number of very aggressive people that mm-hmm. want to affect the way you do things mm-hmm. and want to change the way you talk and change who you talk to and change what you do. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, I was uh, – so I've been promoting a book for a while, doing mm-hmm. different shows, going on different things. Mostly, you know, liberal people read me, I guess. Uh, then I went on uh, went on Ben Shapiro's show. And Did you get canceled for that? Well, I mean, you know, it's just like a lot of people yelling at me. They're like, why'd you go on that guy's show? And I said, well, it's a big show. Yeah, and you want to... A lot of people listen to it. You want to have a debate with this guy about I mean, some of these ideas. You want I just like, you want to introduce yourself yeah. to as many people as you can. Like, you don't get to be... Like, I, I want to sell books. Yeah. I want people to listen to my podcast. I yeah. want people to read my website. You know, I want to... I want to talk to different people. I want to reach different audiences. And that just seems to me 10 years ago 
everybody would think that was obvious. Yes. Right? Not that like everyone agrees with everybody, but that of course but you want to go on the biggest shows you can most get Most people today still think that's obvious. Right. Yes. It's just a small percentage of people that have got into this idea of platforming and mm-hmm. deplatforming and going on someone's platform mm-hmm. and you know and amplifying someone's broadcast. Like there's mm-hmm. all these these terms that people are using now that is really just it's separatism in mm-hmm. a weird way. It's ideological separatism. And what we're doing is we're taking these echo chambers and putting walls up around them mm-hmm. and, you know, enforcing it by yelling at people and being angry at people for having, like my friend Tim Dillon uh, had a podcast recently with Candace Owen. And uh, he's like, holy shit, dude, the, the blowback was like stunning. So many people were angry with him talking to her. And maybe some of it was angry that he didn't push back on some of the things that she said that they they believe are untrue or, or or biased or distorted or you know what have you. But I think conversations with people that have fundamentally different values are important for us. It's interesting to watch how a person's thought process ex- expands. Like what? How do you think about things? Why do you think about this? Well, and there's a fantasy that you can sort of make disagreement go away mm-hmm. if you you know try to shut down yeah. certain cultural avenues i mean i think you saw that a lot in the election that just happened and and you continue to see it in politics that it's frustrating to people that they can't just win everything yes and have all their ideas go through and shut you up right yeah um but you know in the electoral re- arena as well as in place else but it's just true that like there's a big country there's a lot of people in it. People have some different ideas, some different values. Mm-hmm. You don't need to agree with them. And of course, in, a, in an election, like it's vote. You try to win, right? You try to get more votes than the other guy. But conservatives aren't going to go away. Progressive people aren't going to go away. We're going to continue to exist as an ethnically diverse society. We're going to continue to exist as a society with some very traditionalistically minded people. And we have to find stuff that we can make headway on and the only way to have that kind of headway is to be communicating because you don't actually know what exactly you agree or disagree about until you kind of have the 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 dialogue right if you go hunting around to say okay this thing that this person said is so outrageous that i gotta just write them off Mm -hmm. well okay you write them off but they're still just right over there right like nothing they're not though in some cases. And you can you can blind yourself. No, to- no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why people have this perception that uh, it's a good idea to not go on someone's platform and not talk to people. Whoa, good, good save. <laughs> good reflexes, buddy. Um, is because uh, some people have been deplatformed. People like Milo Yiannopoulos and mm-hmm. Gavin McGinnis and Alex Jones. And there's people that have been removed from these uh, significant portals, whether it's YouTube or Twitter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so people... They understand that that's effective, hmm. and now they want to expand that. And once mm-hmm. they, they learn how to do that, then they want to do it to other. I mean, I've seen people argue for people being deplatformed for just having dumb ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, you should deplatform him. I've, I've literally seen that in podcasts, and it's so frustrating. It's like, God, that's not how to handle things. Like, the, we're, we're supposed to have debates, we're supposed to have discussions. And I think because we've accepted this idea of censorship and deplatforming mm-hmm. as a, a viable alternative to listening to things that upset you. 
just get rid of them shut them mm -hmm. off and well that's that's this and also that reinforces the echo chamber it's people with a very limited understanding of history in terms of like what happens when you do that to people and also a very limited understanding of just general human nature the best way to get people to listen to your point of view is to express it eloquently and accurately and in a way that resonates you say something to the people that are listening that they might be on one side or another. I mean, there's a lot of people that are kind of left and kind of right. And something can come along and they go, well, and they like doing this. They like going, well, fuck this. I'm Trump now. Or fuck this. Biden's my man now. Trump's got to go. And it's it could be one thing. There's a lot of people that don't have nuanced perspectives. They but that, don't have a, a, an educated, long-term idea of what people are and, and how to communicate. And... I watched a podcast, not a podcast, in a, a debate yesterday with William F. Buckley and Noam Chomsky, mm -hmm. and it's from 1970 or something. I don't yeah. know when it's from, and it's an amazing conversation. It's amazing because you have two completely opposing viewpoints. You have William F. Buckley, who's this kind of pompous right-wing guy, and you have Noam Chomsky, who was young and vital, Noam <laughs> Chomsky, and it was amazing watching Noam Chomsky shut down William F. Buckley's ideas and have him like have them him challenge the points where Buckley was wrong on and it's a great fucking conversation and there's a lot of people today that would not want that conversation because Noam Chomsky would be Ben Shapiro or whoever mm -hmm. you know and you'd be like oh my god why is Noam Chomsky or, or excuse me William F. Buckley would be sure, ben yeah Shapiro, why are you going and Noam on Chomsky would be on that show people go why are you doing that you shouldn't do that you shouldn't give them a platform you shouldn't go on their platform but god damn it that's how people learn that your perspective is better, or your perspective resonates more, or your perspective makes more sense. Well, and what I think really ideological people don't understand is that most people, like that the technical term, the political scientists call it, is, is they're, they're cross-pressured, right? So like you have some ideas that fit one way, some ideas that fit another way. You have some identities that go one way, some that go another way, yeah. right? And so people change over time, right? And you have voters who voted for Barack Obama, right? And then they vote for Donald Trump right. four or eight years later. And then people who are who are really ideological, they say, like, well, Trump, like, he said all these outrageous racist things. So all these people who vote for them, they must be racist too. And you're like, well, okay, but, like, they voted for the black guy four years ago. Like, how racist could they be? They're like, no, 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 it's racist, racist. And then four years later, well, Trump has actually gained some Latino support. Right. Yeah. So, OK, so they're white supremacists, too. But like, no. Right. And probably they don't agree with what Trump said about Mexican immigrants. Right. I find right. it very unlikely that Mexican-American Trump supporters agree that Mexico is sending murderers and rapists across the country. But there's a lot of issues in politics. Maybe they agree with Trump about guns. Maybe they agree with Trump about abortion. Maybe they agree with Trump about I don't know what. Right? There's just like a lot yeah. of shit happening. Right. Yeah. And so if you can convince people to care about what you're aligned with them on, you know, you win. Right. And if you can come across as the the kind of friendly coalition that's like, hey, you agree with some of our stuff? Get on the bandwagon, right? Yeah. That's good. You win like that. And you're not going to get anywhere by telling everyone about how much you don't want them, mm -hmm. right? Participating. Yeah. Being like, wow, you know, if you're if you're not with me on everything, yeah. like, you're dead to me. That's not, like, that's not how politics works. It's not no. how persuasion works. No. 
And it's not how interesting media works. You don't you don't learn anything from shows like that, books like that, things no, like that. And, and it's frustrating to me. It's also there's a tendency to embrace this polarization and to almost like solidify it. Like even AOC after the election wanted everybody to put together a list of people that were supporting Trump and that voted for Trump and donated to Trump. I'm like, Jesus Christ, are you really asking people to make lists? You know where this goes? <laughs> like, how is this possible that a Congress? I don't know. Woman, I don't know what kind of list she wanted. She wanted a uh, list of sycophants. I don't remember. But, that was um, what she said. She wanted a list of sycophants. Oh, of like Trump. Trump sycophants. So we could. Yeah. So we can yeah, fucking kick them out or make something. sure they don't work. That's what a lot of it is. Make sure those people are polarized. Mm-hmm. Like this is. These are the people that aren't on our side. These are the people that we have to shit on. And if you support them, you support all these negative things. You support homophobia, racism, xenophobia. Go down the list, and then I don't want to support that. So you get bullied into a perspective. You know, I got mixed feelings because I I cover politics. So Mm -hmm. it's good for me when people get more geared up about national politics, right? Right. The more people care, like, that's, that's, that's gravy for me. But I do think it's, like, not healthy, right? I mean, I want to go back to a time when people felt that the political arena was, like, for boring nerds. And, you know, so, and you could talk so you about... Go back when, so it's like when you're into a band and then the band becomes big. <laughs> Hipsters, yeah. Like, oh, no, but, uh, no, but, not, but not like that. Not, not that I want to be, like a, like, a Congress hipster. No, it's that, like... Um, the more people care about politics, I mean, it's good to be engaged. It's good that people vote. It's I good think that people. What you're saying is you want out. people to actually understand what they're arguing about, and the people that are going to actually understand what politics are all about are going to be really into it. But also to have limits, right? To just be able to say, "All right, now I'm talking about my favorite band. Now I'm talking about my favorite basketball team," and I'm like not bringing politics mm. into all of it right. right that it's like it's it's not again it, i say it's like it's good for me for people to turn politics into an all-consuming hobby mm-hmm. but i don't think it's healthy for them or for like Anybody society yeah. it's one of the greatest things it's one of the last bastions we have is that you know everybody in a given city usually roots for the football team you know black White, Latino, young, old, religious, secular. So you know it's Democrats and Republicans who are in there. They're all rooting for the team. It's fine to me that, you know, athletes, you become famous. You want to use your platform. You want to do good. I mean, that's great. But it's good to see people care passionately about hating the Dallas Cowboys rather than an ideological disagreement. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm from DC, so you know, our, I know what you're our, our team, our team's rivals with 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 the uh, with the Cowboys. It's cool to see those kind of cross cutting things exist in society, but we have like fewer of them, right? It seems like if you you know, like you buy a car, and that's going to be a political statement based on what. And I know, so it's like I, I drive a Prius, right? So people see me coming. And it's like they know who I'm voting for ah. based on that, right? And it's not it's not wrong, but I don't think it's good, you know? Like it would be better to be just more random. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, well the more ways that we could separate people, the you know, the the more separating we're gonna have. It's like it is true that if you look at a Prius I mean, I want. I would like to see like a breakdown, like a right. pie chart. How many? How many Prius owners voted for Trump? It's like <laughs> it can't be a lot, right? <laughs> right. It's like what? I wonder what the number is. It's probably like less. It's probably single digits. 
I mean, it can't be a lot. It would. I would be sh- if somebody rolled up in a Prius and got out and had a MAGA hat on. Like my mind would be fucking blown. That right? sounds like something that a provocative comedian would do. If someone was just. <laughs> but it's weird, right? Like, silly. is that is that healthy for society that we feel like we can infer so much about somebody from something totally? It's like I, I just Is like I accurate, wanted a reliable though? car, right? That got good, good gas mileage, yeah, and that I, fit in my. I've got this tiny ass garage, so like most cars won't even fit in there, but but my Prius does, so you know that's good. Listen, good for me. Uh, my friend Greg has a Prius. I shit on him all the time for it, but it's a good car. <laughs> Bill Burr, my buddy Bill Burr, had a Prius forever. It's not. They're not the worst cars in the world. They're super reliable. They just yeah, look boring. Like shit. It's boring. <laughs> it's boring. It's, it's, but it's transportation. Look, if I was, you know, looking for something to take me to and from the city, and I, I had to park in small spots, and it's ideal. See, it's better I'm than saying. a smart car. Those I'm things saying. are ridiculous. Like that's too small, right? Smart car. Fuck that's that. too small. See, even Prius is shit on smart cars, <laughs> right? What? That's the real question. How many smart car owners voted for Trump? It's fucking I don't know. zero. There's nobody in America. Fucking those, zero. Do they? they do. I've seen those. I've seen them. Smart oh, cars. Man. Yeah, I was in uh, I was in Germany one time. I was in this like little van with some American journalists, German guy driving, and the alley's blocked because it's just like a smart car and it's not parked correctly, so mm-hmm. it's it's up in our way. And and the German guy's like, "Well, we're gonna have to wait." And the Americans are like, "We don't have to wait." He's like, "No, no, no, you gotta wait." And this lady, you know, she was like our leader. She was like, "No, the young guys, you guys get out of the van, pick the smart car up, and just move it to the side." And the German guy's like, no, it's not possible. It's not possible. She's like, Matt, go. And so we go up. You know, it's this tiny fucking car. So we just pick it up, move it a few feet over, or like a meter, I guess they would say over there, and go right by. They're and like, this is astounding. <laughs> He's like, it's not possible. Done? And then she says to him, she's like, you know, this is why you guys lost the war. Oh, shit. <laughs> it, was, oh, it was real shit. ugly American stuff. That's so rude. It was. She was trying to be funny, obviously. But did he laugh? We moved the car. He did not. Germans are not. Um, they're a bit stoic. Yeah. Well, also a particular look. They're sensitive on that subject. I want to. And I guess why. rightly so. <laughs> They've outlawed Scientology over there. Have you know they? That? Yeah. I don't know anything about Scientology. Really? I mean, it's the there's Thetans. That's what oh, yeah. I know. Oh yeah. And Tom Cruise. Well, they're they're not into cults. You know. Okay. So if, if anything is demonstrably a cult. Like, if they can look at something and go, oh, I see where you're going here. Yeah, like, that's out. Yeah, they're pretty sure that's true. Google that. Germany is outlawed Scientology. Um, yeah, I found a Scientology channel the other day. I didn't know it existed. Flipping through the channels, or maybe I knew and I forgot. Um, a fucking DirecTV has a Scientology channel. Hmm. I saw this very unhealthy-looking lady talking about, like, like what is possible because of being a Scientologist. I'm like, what is this? Lit? Who is she talking to? And like, why is no one disagreeing with her? I'm like, what is this? And then I look at the channel. It's like Scientology channel. Hmm. So it's all Scientology programming. I used to walk past a Scientology church every day on my commute. Did they try to grab you and put and you? No, but they... There's a lot of uh, illegal parking that they're doing there. They just pulled up on the sidewalk, and you know, and I wonder how they get away with it. And it's I want to drive somebody. I want to spin up all kinds of. Uh, oh, remains legal. Uh-oh. Okay, there's been calls to ban. Oh, we it's got, banned in Russia. Okay, we I'm got fake news. Fuck, yeah, we've got to we've got to unplatform you. 
Well, I always check my fake news. Court in <laughs> Russia has banned Moscow's Church of Scientology, saying it does not comply with the federal laws on freedom of religion. According to Russia's TASS news agency, the country's justice ministry brought the case against the church, which is heard in Moscow City. So, so Scientology says, why is Scientology banned in Germany? The German government does not recognize Scientology as a religion. Rather, it views it as an abusive business masquerading as a religion and believes that it pursues political goals that conflict with the values enshrined in German constitution. This stance has been criticized by the U.S. government. So it does, but it says, why is Scientology banned in Germany? Yeah. yeah. So it is not banned in Germany or it is? Same sign, uh, Wikipedia article, it says it's hmm. legal and allowed to operate. Okay. You so just, so they it's, don't recognize it's not a it as a religion. So they allow the people a certain amount of freedom of expression. But you probably they, don't get the tax benefits, right? right? It's good. It's good. Do they so, have the same. Scientology deal? is one of those things. You ever have something that you, um, you kind of like never wanted to look into because mm-hmm. you're afraid it's going to be bad. Yeah. So it's like I, I want to just keep liking Tom Cruise's movies. Oh, Tom Cruise so, is great. So I don't really want to know. Yeah, what's up Cruise with Scientology? Is, I always hear bad things. He's crazy as fuck. Like, and all great actors are crazy as fuck. Yeah. Like, and that's just his crazy. His crazy is that he believes that if you see a car broke down the side of the road, you've got to go over and help them because you're a Scientologist. And oh. that's what you do. Like, he's fucking super intense and dialed in. And he wants to do sit-ups as soon as you're done talking with him. Like, that's that guy. Like, he's fucking... He's going to help me with my car He's trouble. like... Uh, all my friends that have met him, I'm like, dude, the guy looks at you. He remembers your name. He's got like fucking laser beams <laughs> shooting out of his eyeballs. Yeah, what does it say? Oh, he was just part was of the article. I didn't <laughs> about talking John about him. him. He was there. Oh. So, thought you're bringing there you him go. up for some important okay. news. <laughs> um, yeah, he's uh, he's crazy, but so is Daniel Day Lewis. Right? Yeah. He's crazy in a different way. I guess. Like they're all Christian Bale. That guy's fucking crazy. You know, Russell Crowe. He he throws cell phones at people that work behind the counter at a hotel if he doesn't like what they're saying. They're a lot of crazy people are brilliant actors. Yeah. It's just like he keeps his shit together with this weird thing. Weird religion. Weird religion. And have you ever read Going Clear? Lawrence no. Wright's book? No. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. The HBO documentary, the series, I think it was more than one thing. Maybe it was, I don't remember. Um, but that's really good too. But the book is fantastic. Going so Clear. So do, do you have to be crazy like that to be successful in the in the podcast game? To get to the Rogan level, no. do I need to become crazier? No, well, I just I just started early. It's a dirty <laughs> trick. It's a dirty trick. I'm an early adopter. I, I just made it through. You know, like there's probably a lot of people that make better uh, cotton swabs than Q-tips, right? <laughs> but Q-tip has been the name forever, right? Sure. So I got in in 99 or 2009, rather. So that's a long-ass time ago. 11 years of doing a podcast is a long fucking time. So Absolutely. That's the key. Ground floor. Yeah, and, and also just doing a lot of interviews. Sure. Yeah, just give people a lot of shit, shit to listen to. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck. Just kill them. Kill them with know. quantity. I don't know what has made this popular. I don't. <laughs> you should find out someday. I don't want to know. I'll probably change it then. <laughs> right. Probably, I mean, I think you, if you pay attention too much to criticism or praise, you're, you're going to fall victim to it in one way or another. No, I mean, that's yeah. true. I mean, it's not... Uh, healthy to worry too much about too much, but you got to worry a little. Think you should think a little because you don't want to piss people off. You don't want to be annoying, and I think uh, I'm both of those things sometimes. But it's also inevitable when you're just thinking out loud, right? Because that's what we're, we, you and I like. You could attest to this. We had very little conversation before we got here. Yeah, no, I did ask twice. I was like, what are we going to talk about? And everyone assured me. They're like, no, you just go in. You're just going to talk. So it works. It's real. It's true. Yeah, it really does work, though. Like you, 
So that that's what I want to hear. I want to hear a conversation between two people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think interviews are interesting. I think debates are interesting. Mm-hmm. But what I, I genuinely like to do is have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I just like mm-hmm. to talk to people. It's fun. It's, it's interesting. I, I want to know why you think the way you think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially this subject, because I keep going on about how I think there's something about, you know, let's just go back to this rat population density okay. thing. What they did was they took these rats, they put them in a large container, a large um, area, and they only had a couple of rats, and the rats just behaved like rats. Mm-hmm. And then as they ramped up, it mirrored essentially all of the problems you see in big cities. They started getting more violence. They started getting mentally ill rats that would literally sit in a corner and rock themselves back and forth, things that just didn't exist when mm. there's small amounts of rats in a containment area. I think people react to the people that are around them in uh, – in a very uh, tangible way. And one of the things that they used to demonstrate this is they've taken, there was a very good uh, radio lab podcast that talked about this, where they took uh, cameras and they would put a camera on one end of the street and a camera on the other end of the street and they would time people walking from one end to the other. So they would track their, their footsteps and then through that, when they would, you know, have a certain amount of data, they could accurately determine how many people lived in the city. Just by how quickly someone moved from point A to point B, and that the, so what big cities yes, people walk faster. They walk faster. Not only do well, they walk faster, us. they talk faster. Uh-huh. So if you listen to someone form if you listen to a certain amount of people form sentences, you can get a very accurate number, like really close to what the population density or what the population of that area is, which That's is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So there's a reaction that we have to each other. Too many people makes people walk faster and talk faster, and some people love that. And my friends that live in New York City that love it, one of the things they say is the city's got so much energy, mm-hmm. so much energy. And I agree. You go there, you're like, wow, so much energy. But that's you're reacting to other biological entities, right? It's like there's weird things that happen with people when they're around other people. Like women, when they're around other women, get coinciding men- menstrual cycles, right? Mm-hmm. We don't really totally understand that. We know mm-hmm. it's like pheromones, and they're reacting to each other. I think there's strange things that are happening when people are around people. I think it's one of the reasons why podcasts in person are far better than podcasts through Zoom. Like it's great to be able to talk to people that otherwise I couldn't talk to through that, mm-hmm. but there's a impersonal sort of disconnected there's a the, the, there's a magic that's missing. Yeah, but so I'd like I'm more on that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's great energy in person. Yes. I think that, you know, the move to doing everything remotely because of the pandemic, you know, I think has really hurt sort of uh, like morale in a lot of institutions, harder for people to get along, harder for yes. people to relate to each other. I also think when you look at innovation, right, like big, like, you know, inventions, new ideas, new developments, they tend to come out of urbanized areas, right, where people are bouncing off each other, you know, maybe like drinks after work, maybe at a party somewhere. People who, you know, work broadly in the same field are just able to see each other and interact randomly, right? And that kind of energy generates a lot of, uh, you know, where our sort of growth comes from as a kind of a a modern society. And there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, people living in small towns, people living in the countryside. There's a lot of great stuff out there. Obviously, also, we, uh, like, we need food, uh, without, mm-hmm. without farmers, we'd be we'd be kind of fucked as a as a society. But there's a reason why you see a trend toward urbanization over 
thousands and thousands of years. You know, people trying to find more ways to have more interactions with each other. Because I think we're not rats ultimately, right? Like you put those rats in the crowded thing and like they don't they don't invent shit. You know, they're still they're still rats. Right, but you uh, understand people, that the issue is No, no, I mean I see I see what you mean. The negative aspects of overpopulation they're, are represented they're, in rat population. Right. I mean there's there's I mean look, there's definitely more violence in big cities. Yeah. Uh, you see that really clearly. On the other hand, you do see better health outcomes in the contemporary United States in metro areas than you do in rural ones. Uh, I don't know exactly why that is, but it's better ho- but it tells health us something. outcomes in terms of response to hospitalization or better health outcomes in terms of like the overall quality of life. And I mean, just healthy. like life expectancy, obesity, yeah. that the, kind the of life stuff. expectancy is higher, like really in, in New York city than Boulder, Colorado. Is uh, that real? No, Colorado is actually number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, I mean, but you New know, York, Boulder only New, has a hundred thousand. people. Yeah. But New York and California are some of the highest life expectancy states in the country, you know, the really low ones, West Virginia, uh, places like that. But that's like extreme that. poverty. Well, they're poor, but right. that's but part of the issue, of right? Like wealth comes out of – now, maybe that will change, right? Maybe we're going to have the technology that people can – and, you know, we're going to make some investments in broadband, other stuff like that. I mean, maybe we can have much more prosperity, in rural areas. And, like, that would be great because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, A, it would just be good for people there. Also, you know, people like it. it it'd be cool. I have some hope that all this Zoom and stuff will do that. But I also have some doubts. I mean, I'm just not sure that you can fully replicate the sort of value of in-person interaction. Uh, and it's a it's just a way that I do think we're, we're different. The only way that's ever going to come about is through virtual reality. Virtual reality, if, if it gets to a point where you and I can put on goggles and be in a room together almost like this. Yeah. That's pretty close. Well, I think it's I, – I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite technical enough to know what the problem is. But to me, the issue with all kinds of Zoom things, right, it's mm-hmm. not the visual experience. It's the lags. You know, like the hardest thing for me as, as a professional talker about anything remote you know, not just video, right? You do... Um, just latency? Yeah, the latency. It's hard. It's hard to have a conversation when you're constantly worried about the timing and the well, interruptions talk- yeah. and how that back and forth works. It's very unnatural. And I don't know, like, if there's going to be a VR solution for that. Like, I think that latency is a killer. The latency is a killer, but the latency is not as bad if you have headphones on, if both of you have headphones on. The problem is oftentimes one person has speakers and the other person is using headphones. And when the one person is talking, the way Zoom works and Skype works, it's very difficult for you to hear the other person talking while you're talking. It sort of drowns everything mm-hmm. out and it, it, it fucks up. I've had some brutal conversations with people where they literally don't even hear what I'm saying. Like they're saying something wrong. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying? And they just keep going. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't, that's not real. Like stop. And they're yeah. like, oh Jesus. And then you realize, like, okay, they, they could barely hear me while they're talking. I can't really talk. Whereas, like, if you're talking and I'm like, what? And you hear it. It's like we're in the same room. We're also wearing headphones together, which is better than even being in the same room and not having headphones mm-hmm. on. Because your voice in my ears, like, there's a couple times I've talked to you earlier where I realized it as I was doing it. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, it's just the thing of learning the rhythm of people communicating. But 
when when the headphones, your voice is as loud as my voice, and right. it's at the same. It's right there in the ears, so it locks you in. Well, and where are you? You're Italian, is that mostly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm Jewish mostly, and you know, New York, New Jersey, and you know, uh, is a stereotype. But like, we're always talking over each other at yes. dinner. You know, family and my yes. my wife. She's a she's a, a, a waspy person, a little more reserved. And I think the first <laughs> time she she came home to see my family, she was like, "What's going on here?" Like, everybody's just yelling constantly. Uh, but to me, it's a very natural way to communicate yeah. yeah to have a little overlap yeah. right and part of being human is like understanding those cues and when you intersperse the technology right and the latency and the lags in there it it's a very different experience and like professional interviewers figure out how to do it you yeah. know because they're pros but it's not normal yeah you you have to work with it and it's difficult and oftentimes professional interviewers they actually use that to talk over each other like mm. if you're watching cnn if there's opposing viewpoints oftentimes these fucking anchors just talk over people <laughs> and they don't let the person get their point out and they also know that they only have seven minutes and they're also working towards a sound bite as much as they're having a conversation they're probably more likely setting traps or anticipating outcomes and working towards some sort of gotcha moment. And this mm. is, it's not a conversation. And they tell you if you get, you know, I've gotten uh, media training, you know, to do go on cable, right? And then what they tell you is before you go on cable, because you're only going to be on there for a couple minutes, you decide what you want to say, right? You distill it to a few quick talking points and you just make sure to say that no matter what question you get asked. Oh, God. And, that's that's training. That's the advice they give to the pundits, the talking heads who go on, to the politicians who come on. You know, and like worst case, you say, well, you know, Wolf, I think the real issue is. And then, boom, you just do your talking points. And that's terrible. Like, it's a terrible product. You know, yeah. like you watch those shows and you are not learning anything. Right. Because the people are sent on there programmed to do that. Like, that's what the pros tell you you should do as a guest. But why would you want to watch that? Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to watch this. I, I, I mean, I, I, I do. I'll watch some clips sometimes on YouTube, but I, I never watch it live on television unless I'm at a fucking airport or something. That's the only <laughs> thing on. I think it's a nonsense way of communicating. I think it's a terrible way to express ideas, and it's one of the reasons why I don't do any of those shows. I won't do it. Like, I just, I don't, I don't want to do any of those shows. Where you sit down at a panel and a bunch of people yell over each other. Like, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in being right. I just want to talk. Like if if people have like if I go on a, a if I go on one of those shows and I have a, a viewpoint or a perspective that's definitely different than the person who has a, a, a perspective. I want to listen to that person. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be right. Mm -hmm. I might be right and I might think I'm right and I might be really looking forward to telling them that I think I'm right. But mm -hmm. I really want to listen to them too. Mm -hmm. I want to know what the fuck they think mm -hmm. and why they think what they think. And I, the only way to really have a good argument against it is to have a real clear understanding of what that person is saying. And I want to look at it through their perspective. I want like there's a lot of times people have said, "Oh, you know, you take the side of your uh, your guests." A lot of times, even if you know you've taken different sides before, I'm like, that's not what I'm doing. It might seem like that's what I'm doing. What I'm really doing is. I want them to fully express what they think. So I want to find out why they think that way. So I want to think the way they're thinking. So if they start saying something like, oh, yeah, so you you feel like we should do it this way. You're trying to because, draw it yes. out. You're trying to explicate what's I'm also what's trying to learn. I'm trying right. to get it. I'm trying to get it from their perspective. Like sometimes, sometimes people will say things, and I had an idea of what I believed before I started talking to them, and then they start talking, and I go, oh, ooh, that makes sense. 
I get it now. And maybe I did have a different op- opinion a week ago, but I'm not married to my opinions. Mm-hmm. And when you're on those fucking cable shows, you have to be married to your opinions. You're just talking over each other. And it's so much, so many gotcha moments. It's just gross. If I ever had someone over my house and they talk to me like that, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Well, what I, I hate about it like is that. you put you on like that, right? And so you're supposed to be repping your team, yeah. right? And so if you do, if you actually are thoughtful, right? If you ever concede that the other perspective might have some merit yeah. or that you don't have all the answers, right. then you're, you're taking the L for your team. Right. And people are going to be disappointed in you. Yeah. And I don't ever want to be in that position, right? That's not interesting as a, as a thinker, as a writer, as a host, to just be out there as a cog in the machine. I couldn't agree more. Playing the role. It's, it's boring. I mean, the world is a complex place. I change my thinking about things a lot because... I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm stupid, but I, I like to think it's no, because it's like stuff happens, right? Yeah. And like you want to live and participate in the world of ideas, not as like um, a combat sport. Yes. You know, I mean, you argue with people. I You get passionate about things sometimes. But the idea is to learn, to persuade, to become smarter, to help your audience become smarter. And that's not about trying to beat the other guy into submission. But so much, I mean, really on television, of media is constructed that way as this, like, spectacle. And I'm not above what... In other arenas, like... It's amazing to just like watch two two sports teams go at it and, and see who's gonna win. See it's who's stupid. Gonna, gonna score the most points. But for for like ideas, it's dumb. Yeah, it's stupid to do that with conversations. And I, I do agree. It's fun to watch people do that with sports. It's it's exciting. But it, it, sports are a different animal. It's a different thing. I think conversations are missing from media. We don't have conversations. The only way they have conversations is if it's an echo chamber and there's two people like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo agreeing on something and they, they have something and they agree about it and they talk. That's a conversation, sort <laughs> sure. of. But even that's bullshit because it's pre-planned out and they've gone over what they're going to say <laughs> in advance. You know, They're not just talking about things. And I also think that most ideas uh, or like an idea that's controversial, like your idea of a billion Americans, like this is an idea that I think should be expressed in a... Uh, a long form conversation because it's the best way to look at all your perspectives and Mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. why you, and I think, you know, like right, right away, my perspective was, I don't think that that's a good idea because that's too many people, but I see what you're saying and I listen to what you're saying and I go, Oh, okay. How many people do you want? I don't think there's a number. (laughs) I don't don't have a number, but I am pro immigration. You know, I think, listen, I, I would be, Incredible, incredibly hypocritical if I was anti-immigration. I love a lot of immigrants. I know a lot of immigrants because I know a lot of fighters because a lot of uh, mm-hmm. people from the UFC, a lot of them are immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful that they're here. I'm grateful that my grandparents had an opportunity to come here. I'm, I'm, I think this is an amazing place. Um, I'm pro-America as an idea. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of American, uh, American people, the idea of this melting pot, the idea of this place that is in quotes, the land of opportunity. This is mm-hmm. what people think. When you say the land of opportunity, if you're on Jeopardy, what is America? Mm-hmm. It's not what is China. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's not, right? It's, so so it's let me ask spot. you, when, when you decided you wanted to leave Los Angeles, right? yeah. you, you know, it's, it's traffic, big city, 
high taxes in California. I don't know exactly what's on your mind, but there's a lot of places you can go. Mm -hmm. So Austin is interesting. I mean, this is a place that a lot of people have been moving to. Mid-sized city, but but it's a city. You know, mm -hmm. this is urban. Um, you know, you could have been like a like a solo rat. You know, on a mountaintop someplace. I've done that before. Uh, the problem is, I have a family, and yeah. they, they're not interested in that. If it was me, <laughs> I would be on a mountain somewhere. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd have a fat internet cable that I'd <laughs> hire someone to drill through the ground to whatever the fucking nearest point is, and I'd be on a mountain. You just uh, not that I don't like people, but I mm -hmm. really, really like nature. Hmm. I mean, I like to go. But the thing is, like outside of the pandemic, my job involves enormous groups of people together. Right? I'm a stand-up comedian, and I do these giant places where there's thousands of people, and then I do the UFC, so I do commentary, and there's yep. thousands of people. Yep. That shit's overwhelming sometimes. Mm. And then there's millions of people that listen to the podcast. That shit's overwhelming sometimes, too. And the antidote for that, for me, is nature. Oh, and so to be in a place where I can see mountains, and I can just hear birds, and I can see trees... <sighs> That makes me feel good. It See, makes, it's a nice feeling. I was never a nature person. And then because of the pandemic, so much stuff, not anymore, but back in March, April, so much stuff was closed. Everything yeah. was closed in D.C. And I got a five-year-old, and it was like we had to do something. Mm -hmm. So we started going every Saturday. I'd drive him someplace, and we'd go hikes, uh, you know, like, Really, like easy level ones because I'm fucking out of shape. Kids five, you know what can we do? <laughs> um, but it was like the first time I ever really was like doing that stuff, and I think it's like the one thing that I will take away from this COVID era is like I finally get it right that it, oh, it does great. it helps reboot yeah my mind oh yeah to just kind of walk around some mm -hmm. trees and yeah look oh. at a river. Hey man, that's around. that's how we evolved. Mm -hmm. There's there's certain th like you ever caught a fish? You ever go fishing? I have, yeah. When you catch a fish, there is a weird thing that's going on in your brain that is <laughs> ancient. It's ancient, and even though like fishing tackle is very modern, you know, using a spin casting reel, yeah. and you're you got monofilament line and these hooks that have been designed and engineered, and you're pulling in this fish. There's something about catching a fish that ignites a primal part of whatever it is that it, whatever it, whatever part of you that's uh, left over from back when this was the only way you were going to survive is if you caught a fish, mm. you know, and it was probably when you were catching it with a net or with a stick or whatever the fuck they figured out how to use back then or ancient hooks. That part gets ignited because it's a part of what we are. Also, part of what we are is we lived in nature, like mm -hmm. humans. Always lived in nature until, you know, X amount of thousands of years ago when agriculture and um, and cities and, and, and condensed living and people were tribal and mm -hmm. they, they, they stuck together and they were mostly hunters and gatherers. That shit is in our DNA and it's very hard to get out. And I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. And as a grown adult, I think one of the things we should do is recognize that we have some requirements. And one of the requirements is to be around nature. Like there's a physical requirement and you feel like a better person. You feel like a better version of yourself when you can go on a hike in the mountains. I got to tell you, when I, when I went fishing, I just felt weird. But <laughs> <laughs> exactly what you said. That's how I feel. You know, these days, uh, everybody, everybody in D.C. has got uh, fire pits for our backyards, mm -hmm. you know, so we can, we can hang out at night. And that's how I feel anytime. 
get a fire together. You know, I like I learned as a little kid, like how to build a campfire at summer yeah. camp, that kind of thing. It never comes up, you know, like in real life, because who cares? But you do it and you're like, oh, this, like this mm-hmm. is the real life survival skills. This is like, oh, yeah. this is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. and, I, and I do get that. Like that's, that's something cool. Yeah, f- that's another fire is in your DNA. There's something beautiful about starting a fire. I was on a, um, a hunting trip once in Alaska on Prince of Wales Island, and it's uh, the one of the rainiest parts on Earth. It rains there okay. basically every day. It's the, the entire trip was just, you're soaked. doesn't matter if you're in a sleeping bag, in a tent. <laughs> the sleeping bag is filled. There's that sounds w- terrible. <laughs> there's water vapor everywhere. Okay, so, like, I'm not nothing, going there. Nothing is ever dry. There's yeah. nothing ever dry. But there was one night where it didn't rain for like six or seven hours, and we figured out how to start a fire. Okay. And we um, actually, for the entire evening until like early in the morning, it didn't start raining again. So we used corn chips, like Fritos corn Mm -hmm. chips. Those things are like super flammable, and they, they stay lit for a long time. So we figured out that we can light corn chips on fire and then slowly dry out these sticks and get them to the point where they were flammable and then take some wood from some areas where it doesn't get Uh direct rain Uh on it and like underneath it was kind of dry. And we, we gathered together some wood. And then once we got the fire going, then we put the wet stuff on there and it dried it out and burnt. And we got a fire going. That's probably not good news about eating Fritos though. I don't know if it's bad news. I mean, there's a lot of things that are flammable that taste good. It's okay. I mean, it's not good for you anyway, but the point is this fire was like a drug. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden we had this fire lit and we were like, oh, it was amazing. And the spirits, everyone's spirits went elevated. Everybody was much happier. And, you know, we were warm already. We had, you know, merino wool and, you know, down puffy coats on. So we stayed warm. Yeah. But there was something about that fire that like it let us know, like it was hope. Yeah, it's the meaning of like warmth yes. and community yes. and, and safety, right? And like fun got... stories. Like then you're around the fire and everybody's telling funny stories and mm-hmm. everyone's laughing and we had a great time. But there's a DNA aspect to it. There's like there's a part of you that recognizes that this fire is a one of the things that kept human beings alive, kept away predators, kept away the enemy. Like we we got a fire going. Like we're alive now, and they're like you're like yes, success. Like a fish, you catch your fish. Oh, here we go. We got one. We got one. We got one. There's an exciting thing. Even if, if it's a weird thing that people do, this catch and release. You know, there's a lot of fly fishermen. Uh-huh. All they basically want to do is just go out there and, I mean, the way people have described it accurately is you're kind of just fucking with the fish. You know, <laughs> because you're not really you're not sure. you're not fishing in the sense as you're providing your family with yeah. food and sustenance. No, you're just catching it and letting it go. But they they want that thrill. Like, oh, I got him. I got him. That thrill. And then they're like, oh, I'll let you live. Go it's ahead. It's true. It's funny. You wouldn't. I mean, I guess the fish are glad not to be dead. But It's like shooting an animal with a tranquilizer dart. Like, I got you, bitch. Take yeah. a picture with a moose when it's out cold. And, like, you shot him with a dart. That's horrible. Do you people never do, do that? that? No. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> It sounds Biologists weird. Biologists do that. Sure, yeah, they're... yeah, no, no, I understand. I understand. Yeah. But it's, and uh... usually they don't do that with anything other than predators. With other animals, they actually net them. Right. They drop, like if they want to tag a mule deer or something like that, they actually drop a net from a helicopter on them. That's also weird. Well, it's weird because they can fall and break their leg, and then you got to kill them. It's like... But that's the only way they can actually figure out, like they've through <clears throat> that, they've figured out how these things, uh, what 
what their range is. Yeah, like how yeah, far yeah, they yeah, travel. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they got to tag Yeah, they get data. Trying yeah. to figure out what's going on. But there's something about fishing that ignites these feelings in people. And there's something about hiking. Mm-hmm. Like when you're around trees, it's like your body goes, oh, it's like a like a level of homeostasis occurs. It's like there's sort of a balancing feeling. Like There's a, a oh. relaxation. Yeah. You're supposed to be around trees. But it's- I wouldn't discourage people from listening to podcasts on their busy, hectic commutes. No. You gotta, I wouldn't you gotta discourage keep, you gotta people. you got to keep the business alive. There's nothing wrong with doing a lot of things that inc- yeah. that are in, like going to the movies or yeah. going to a concert. Like All these things have nothing to do with nature. They're still I miss pretty going awesome. to the movies. I miss that too. I miss going to concerts. I miss uh, concerts are good. Yeah, I miss I, large groups of people getting together and not worrying about dying. <laughs> yes, that you know? would be good. Like even you and I, when we saw each other, like, uh, like, hey, how often have you been tested? Yeah, like, what's up? No, and then we got to test you, and then as soon as we know we're clear, then then you can hang out. And don't it's worry. It's very about weird. It. I would, I, you know, I was on an airplane, and it's just the most other people's anxiety. Is like bouncing off the walls. Yeah. You know, it's like, you feel I it. mean, I don't believe in like panpsychism or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it, but that's what it feels like. You know, it's like you can tell everybody's on edge, mm-hmm. everybody's nervous. And you know, planes are always like that. I mean, that's never like the human experience at its finest. How, how do they eat on planes? They let you take your mask down when you eat? They do. That's nonsense. But then everybody's looking at you. Yeah. And also, it doesn't make sense. There's so, I mean, this could be no, a whole other show, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the snacks don't have like magic antiviral properties, right? Like right. if the mask is important, which, you know, the doctors say it is, then also, I mean, you know, it's not that long a flight. You can survive without a snack. <laughs> I know, but they, they, to ask people to fly for five hours with no food, they're like, what? <laughs> I need to eat all the time. Like, well, it's weird, though, because it's like, I mean, this is like the worst thing. But, you know, it's so boring being on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And that's just what people want to do. It's like, yeah, sit there and snack. snack. Um, yeah. I was trying to read a book, be like a smart guy. Into, well, it was like a Jack Reacher book. So, Oh, really? So not that smart. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Tom Cruise played Jack Reacher. He did, yes. It all circles back around. Yeah. Um, I love those books. Uh, the but movie was not that good. No, the movie was not good. The second one is supposed to be even worse. Um, yeah, but there's going to be a new Amazon series. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I love him. I love Tom Cruise. The character. You know You know the Jack Reacher honest. character? Yes, so yes. He's supposed to be a giant guy. Right, exactly. So it can't be fucking Tom Cruise. Right, right. I yeah. like Tom Cruise, but... Doesn't work. But yeah. that's like that's like the little guy, and he's scrappy. Exactly. That's an interesting character, too. But Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, so, the little guy that's scrappy. It's No, it's supposed to be like The Rock. It's yeah. Supposed to be, that's yeah. the dream. Just yeah. like a giant guy. Yeah. The book, he's always like, Lee Child's always writing about how huge his hands are. Yeah. And, and I respect that as a somewhat small-handed person. It's like, yeah. How the fuck do they get Tom Cruise to play a huge-handed well, guy? Well, he was into it. Um, but... Well, that's probably why it didn't work, though. The right? new book, the author he handed off, Lee Child handed off to his little brother uh, to start writing the series. Oh no! And is that like Gallagher too? Yeah, like that kind of situation. There you go. Oh, Dwayne Johnson explains losing Jack Reacher role and why he. What does he say? Is he uh, mad? He's supposed to be him, though. Well, that fucking makes sense. Dwayne Johnson, when you meet him, doesn't even seem like a real human. You're like, oh, look at this fucking superhero. Yeah, that's click, a. Click on that link. What does it say There's there? Another one here. I'll take a quick That's a large individual. Could have been timing. Maybe he had another role to do, you know? Say it again. Go back. Go back to the top. What does it say? It was just the same yeah, It says lose out. Okay. Loses to Tom Cruise. Oh, there he is on Twitter. 
Love the character. About 10 years ago, I went for the role, but Cruz got it. It was great motivation for me to always stay hungry. That's a really nice way of saying I would have fucked that movie up. Huh. Yeah. Who makes the better action star, Cruz or Johnson? That's not a good question. No, that's not the right way to think about it. Yeah. But it's who's right for the part. Yeah, Cruz is not right for the part. Um, the, the part doesn't You work. know, the other thing, you imagine The Rock in, like, Top Gun. Yeah. And it's like, no, because you're not going to be a fighter pilot right. at that size. Right? Like, there's a... Exactly. <laughs> fighter pilots are small. Yeah. It's, it's like if, you know, The Rock played the greatest jockey of all time. <laughs> That poor fucking horse. <laughs> I know. You'd be like, what? Wait, hold on. How big is this goddamn horse? Those big horses don't run that fast. This is stupid. <laughs> that would be yeah. terrifying. The rock sitting on a giant horse. Yeah, there's some guys that are just born for roles. Like Keanu Reeves is born for John Wick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's the perfect John mm-hmm. Wick. Mm-hmm. Even though Keanu Reeves is not a physically imposing guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when even in the movie, like he's got his shirt off and he's showering, it doesn't look like The Rock's back. Uh-huh. It's not like you're like, oh my god, look at the size of this guy; he's gonna kill everybody. But there's something about Keanu's demeanor uh-huh. and the way he plays that role. Like he fucking nails it. It's perfect. He's got that. He's got this flat affect, mm-hmm. but you can tell he loves the dog. Yeah, and. And you can believe that he, he can kill all wife. those people. When and he's killing all those people, I believe it. Yeah, he's yeah. intense. He yeah. dials in. Yeah, it in works. Like a cool way. It works. There's some roles that just don't work. I agree. So you're listening and you're reading Jack Reacher, rather. You're reading this book and people are freaking out. And you freak out, too, because you're feeling these people freaking out. And so it's hard to concentrate on the book. It's just a ton of bad vibes these days. I yeah. mean, it's I don't know I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's like I think my opinion that this pandemic is bad is like not that interesting, but it's I honestly like had not had a chance to really reflect on it until I was there at the airport sitting around because it's like I've been to that airport a million times in normal reality. And you recognize things, but they're so surreal. Yeah. You know, like everybody's acting weird. Everybody's nervous. There's these hand sanitizer stations everywhere. And, you know, who knows? Like we should all wash our hands more probably going forward, just like our kindergarten teachers told us. Uh, but it's been such an incredibly stressful time. And I will be fascinated to see, you know, when people start getting vaccinated, like how bananas do things get? Like I people, think, people are going to be really excited to yeah. like get back out to the club, you know, to like have fun, mm-hmm. go to shows, have just like huge parties. In a couple of years, I think. That's, I think sooner. Mm, I don't know about that. I think things are going to like, I think 2021 is going to be like the craziest year. Maybe. That we've ever seen. I think by the end of 2021, things are going to be rocking. I think 2022 is really when things are going to really... Take that's off. Your, that's uh, your rocking year. It's not my perspective, really, either. It's uh, Nicholas Christakis, uh, who uh, was a professor at Yale, wrote a, a book about the pandemic called Apollo's Arrow. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we, he and I talked about it. And it's one of the things that he thinks is that once the uh, vaccine kicks in, and then there'll be this time that'll be like the Roaring Twenties, which is... Coincidentally, mm-hmm. a couple of years after the Spanish flu had ended. Yep. And it'll be sort of a similar type situation. Well, that's just interesting. Like, is it coincidentally? Well, coincidentally, sort of, no, no. I mean, 
I mean, with us, right? That it's co- it's not coincidentally like it, the relationship is very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically, this probably the same impetus, the same reason. I mean, people were locked up for a year or so, and it was a far more dis- disturbing pandemic because it was killing really young, healthy people yep. with powerful immune systems. Their yep. immune systems actually attacking them. That was a really scary, dangerous time for this country, and the, the bounce back was uh, appropriately wild, right? The, war- the Roaring Twenties, where that's a wild-ass time. It roared. And now yeah. we got Twenties again. Well, now, you know, I think when 2021 rolls around, and whether it's a vaccine or maybe there will be some therapeutic that makes people not have to take the vaccine, well, there's something that they figure out where... You know, like if you get syphilis, you get penicillin and uh-huh. wax it out. Like you don't have to take a syphilis vaccine, yeah. you know, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know either. I like vaccines, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I like vaccines. I, I, I mean, am not vaccinated. everybody does, I know. Um, the problem that a lot of people have is that this was fast-tracked and they get nervous about... They do. They do. Possible potential side effects. And we don't know what those are going to be. And then there's a lot of people that are very uncomfortable with the idea of getting very sick after they take the vaccine, which seems to happen with 80% of the people that take it. And so they're concerned about that. Wait, Even- 80% of people who are taking this vaccine? Get- yes. That's not what I heard. Well, that's what Bill Gates has said. Bill Gates? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't, know if, we, I don't know if we can look it up. Yeah, we'll uh, play it for you. Go, pull, go. pull it off of... Uh, yeah. I know. It's weird. When people say that, people are like, wait, what? Um, it's on my Instagram. There's a interview with Bill Gates where he's talking about, I believe this is the Moderna vaccine. Mm-hmm. The Pfizer vaccine has a very similar effect because it's, um, the way this, uh, MRNA vaccine yeah. works, they've taken the common cold vaccine and added this to it. Right. So your body develops these proteins mm-hmm. to fight off, but you get sick. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I guess I'm saying, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I've read the sort of report, the readout from Pfizer and, and Moderna, BioNTech, um, and they said there were very few serious side effects. I mean, what I don't is, know. I don't know serious, serious or not. I mean, I got the flu shot, you know, uh, whenever it was, a couple months ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, my arm hurt for a couple of days. Well, I mean, that's I, just the shot site. I, I, I wouldn't do it just for that's fun. That's just the injection Yeah. Site. Your body didn't feel bad, right? But it was fine. You know, yeah. I felt okay. This is different than that. Um, this is different than that. And there's a there's a consequence to taking this. And I'm not saying that I won't take it. I will. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, if it's safe, I will encourage other people to take it too. But there's a reality of taking this particular vaccine that it's going to make a lot of people feel like shit. And it'll last a couple of days. And look, you can play play that video. Oh, okay. But it's in the the it's in the uh, feed. It's in the IGTV. But if you just go to my Instagram feed from the last time, uh, the the Dylan Jones episode. Um, it's uh, it's that's just what it is. Hold up, you went way too far. Go go way up, way up. Hold on, keep going. Wait a minute, did they remove it? Oh my god, did they remove it from my Instagram? Is that real? Holy shit, dude, that is crazy. Hold on, uh, let me check. Because that's kind of crazy. If they removed it from my Instagram, that's kind of crazy. Because this was a, I believe it was an NBC interview. Oh, they removed it. Wow. 
Okay, well, here, here. I got, I got an article from, from Science. It says uh, there's fever and aches that mm-hmm. are intense in some cases, but not dangerous. You found it. You found it. Um, okay. Okay, it hasn't been removed then. Okay, here we go. Here's has case. it been removed? Why don't I find it? I, just, I don't know. It was a month ago. It says October 28th. Right. Okay, play it. This video was edited, though, remember? How so? No, 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 no. That's a totally different video. That's a totally different video. That video was the video where people were talking about uh, that Bill Gates is concerned with the uh, profit margin from vaccines. But that is, we should talk about that too because that's actually important. That's actually important because that's really distorted and that's not what he was saying at all. He was not talking about profit. Concerning. We looked. After the second dose, at least 80% of participants experienced a systemic side effect, ranging from severe chills to fevers. So are these vaccines safe? Well, the, uh, the FDA not being pressured will look hard at that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on this if they stick with that, is is very very appropriate, uh, and you know the, it, the 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 side effects were not super severe. That is, it didn't cause permanent health problems for uh, the things there. They you know Moderna did have to go with a fairly high dose, and so uh, you know to get the antibodies. Some of the other vaccines uh, are going able to go with lower doses to get. Uh, responses that are are pretty high, including the the J and J and the Pfizer, and so there's a lot of characteristics of these vaccines. Um, it's great that we have multiple of them uh, that but are Bill, going out there. And, and yes, I you, think you know the data the better than I do. But the bill, Bill, the, the data showed that everybody with a high dose had a, a side effect. Yeah, but some of that is is not dramatic. Where you know it's just you know, super painful. But yes, there we need to make sure there's not severe side effects. The FDA, uh, I, I, I think, will do a good job of that, uh, despite the pressure. How many doses of the vaccine will we need? Well, none of the vaccines at this point appear like they'll work with a single dose. That was the, the hope at the very beginning. Uh, Maybe one of them, particularly in the second generation, won't surprise us. We hope just two, although in the elderly, sometimes uh, it, it takes more. And, and so making sure we have lots of elderly people in the trial will give us that data. No, so let's be clear. So, like, okay, if that so, is, so, so, hold on a second. Yeah. If that is all it is, it's just you, you have severe chills and you feel like shit for a couple of days, mm-hmm. that is way better than getting the coronavirus and risking the potential death and side effects and you know, the long haul people that mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. experiencing blood clots, and if it's better than that, yeah. But it's yeah. just not. It's not a free ride. So, so I just, I just want to get the the numbers. What I see here from from science is that uh, the the sort of fatigue, you know, that you were talking about, feel, feel like shit for two days. There's about ten percent of people had had the side effects. Which, that bad. which, well, hold on a second. But why is Bill Gates saying eighty percent? Well, no, no I, well, she was saying it's some side effect comes in eighty percent, right? But like what you were talking about is in a subset. You know, of the people get it. Well, but hold on. I didn't a second. know. That. I don't know yeah. if that's true because that, there's many articles about the the side effects mm-hmm, of of mm-hmm. this vaccine. I've never seen one of them that relegated it to ten percent of the population that took the 
Well, vaccine. I mean, obviously. Specifically, the second dose. Yeah. The other thing about this is you have to take two. The second dose seems to be the doozy for people. Right. I mean, I guess that's the, that's the tough one. Um, There's some out, now, not- do you think, so this is something that's interesting, is I have, like, one set of conversations with people, and they're saying, who's going to be able to get the vaccine? Like, how are we going to roll this out? Mm-hmm. You know, healthcare workers, essential workers, all this other kind of stuff. And then there's another conversation where people are like, oh, maybe you're not going to want to get it. Right. And me, I'm like, I'm really eager, you know, give it to me tomorrow. I don't even care that the FDA is not done. Why is that? Um, You're not worried about side effects? A, I'm not worried about side effects. Why are you not worried about side effects? Because fever for a couple of days. But I mean, what, that's... If that's, what if that's all we know of now? Yeah. But look, long haul COVID survivors, one of the things they're finding is these people have blood clots like many, many months later. No, I mean, I it's know. It's like a serious, serious thing. But that's thing. just it. Like, I, I would really like to not get COVID. Yeah, um, sure. So but what if there's I mean, a I similar have a lot of... situation with the vaccine? What if the vaccine, and this is not outside the realm of possibility, that the vaccine gives some sort of a, a side effect that, that's unintended? I mean, I have a lot of confidence in the basic process here uh, with the vaccine development. But this isn't the basic process. This is a completely new process, much faster than any process that we've well, I mean, ever it's an unusually rapid it development deve- of vaccines. I mean, it's an unusually rapid development because they have this MNR, mRNA. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I mean, it's messenger RNA, yeah. but I don't know what it means. Um, so, well, it you just know, means that it's trick. It's not giving you a, a like a dormant version, right? Of COVID. So, so there's no there's no virus, not, right? There's a particle that's specially designed. Mm-hmm. It triggers antibodies. Yeah. We create them, um, and so I think the basic antibody immune response situation is fairly well understood mm-hmm. scientifically. It's why we're pretty confident that the people who've recovered, you know, are immune, that, you know, younger and healthier people in most cases are okay. If mm-hmm. they get sick, they get better. Um so to me, like it's a good thing. I'm all for it. I'll take it. I'll get the fever. But I'm also not I, I want to walk the line. Like I want to encourage people to take vaccines like mm-hmm. as a responsible person but also knowing that the supplies will be short if somebody doesn't want it like somebody else will take that dose but you know what one of the best things uh in terms of uh outcomes is vitamin d like vitamin d deficiencies are a huge part of uh negative covid outcomes and then uh one in one I've study seen some people some one, some studies about that yeah one study 84 percent of the people that were in the icu had deficient levels of vitamin c and only four percent had sufficient levels of vitamin d vitamin d is a, a huge problem and it's not just a vitamin it's a hormone you know when when mackie was on the other day he was trying to say that it's a precursor to a hormone so i had to look it up that's not true it's a hormone Vitamin D is actually a hormone, and it's weird because we call it a vitamin, but it regulates so many things in the body, and it has a significant impact on the immune system. But you never hear anybody telling you to supplement with vitamin D. You're not seeing this from any of the leaders, any of these politicians that are shutting things down. Even Fauci has said it recently that vitamin D does seem to have a, a pretty significant impact. But health experts, like people that study like the mechanisms of mm-hmm. disease and vitamin supplementation, like particularly uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick had a, a thing on uh, her Twitter where she published a study that showed uh, positive outcomes in COVID. Vitamin D is a huge factor. Are you supplementing with vitamin D? Um, I am, yes. I mean, How I don't do want take? to, I don't know, just like one of those things. But I also, the thing I you try don't... to do, I try to make sure I'm going outside, mm-hmm. like we were talking about before. I mean, I am not uh, super read in on the vitamin D science, but I have heard this, and it also seems like 
a situation where there's no possible harm, right? With what? With taking some vitamin D. No, of right? course, yeah. And, and being precautious. And you do see that the populations where we've had the biggest problems, right? So if you think about nursing homes or you think about prisons, mm-hmm. right, you're talking about populations that, you know, for different reasons, obviously if you're in prison, you're in prison, but are not having, you know, Outside time and exposure to sunlight, right, and the natural vitamin D Well, they're also mechanisms prisons are jammed up. That come people. that way. They, they have no way of avoiding each other. Right. Well, yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, I do think that there's concern there. I mean, I've heard a fair amount about vitamin D supplementation, at least from our local public health people um, in D.C. I don't know. Really? If, That's interesting. I don't know if. Fauci or whomever else well, has been Los Angeles. You don't hear a peep about it. Um, it's, I mean, what they don't. I mean, they, they don't. They don't have double blind. You know, what do you call it? Placebo clinical trials. Um, which I guess. What What that? are the things that we've seen? I mean, obviously, those are. It's important to do those kind of studies. But I do think that one thing we've seen throughout this pandemic is doctors are a little too hesitant to draw conclusions based on lower quality studies. When that's the best evidence that's available, you know what I mean. It's like well, when lower, you have a problem, you you want to aren't lower yeah. quality studies that indicating that vitamin D is good for your immune system. What it's saying is that there's no way to do double blind placebo controlled studies on vitamin D with people with COVID. You'd have to give them COVID. Like, right. It's a real issue, right? But what they are showing is that people with significant levels of vitamin D, people that have sufficient levels of vitamin D have overall, the percentage of people that have a better outcome is huge. Right. 84% is a big number. Right. When you look at the number of people that have insufficient levels that wind up in COVID units, when you're looking at what vitamin D does, that's well understood, its impact on the immune system. It, it's weird to me that people don't take care of their health and don't actively make conscious decisions to make their body healthier, but are relying only on science to come along and give them something, mm-hmm. give them a medicine, give them a vaccine, give them a thing. When there's so much evidence that shows that you can significantly increase your chances for a good outcome if you do catch this disease and maybe even possibly ward off catching it with a stronger immune system. But yet so many people aren't doing that. Well, and that's something we know about health in general, right? right? Is that we have a, what doctors do, what pharmaceutical companies do, what hospitals do. Mm-hmm. It's We're glad that that exists. Right. But that the biggest levers for population health are in diet and exercise yes. and, and being healthy, right? Not but in, also we can agree vaccines are tremendously important. The reason why we don't have measles or we, we, Vaccines actually, are great. I mean, obviously for the childhood illness, right? One thing that's unusual about COVID is that it doesn't attack young children so right. severely. And God bless, right? That's what's yeah. keep me sane this whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's good. That's an unusual situation. You see... Death rates for children plummet yes. when vaccines come in yes. for these other childhood ailments, right? right? Sure. And it's a huge saver because what are you, you're not going to tell a two year old, like, "Hey, buddy, you got to work my, out more." My point <laughs> is, my point is, I think we can both agree that vaccine or vaccines are hugely important for health results. It's hugely important to ward off diseases. It's hugely. I'm a big proponent of vaccines, mm-hmm. but 
there's other things that people can do to benefit their health as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. And it's just weird to me that people put all of their faith in these one things, but don't do the things that would require some discipline and maybe some changing of the structure of how they live their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's to me is bizarre. No, I mean, I agree with you. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard, but it's hard. It's hard to what, be disciplined. Mm. Discipline is hard. But if you don't want to die, <laughs> No, it's good. It is important to try to to try to do. Have um, you done anything differently during this pandemic where you made conscious decisions to try to be healthier? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I said, you know, I, I started doing outside stuff. I've been trying really hard to, like, take up running because it's something you can do that's, that's out of the gym. you got to be careful with that's that, That's healthy. Um, but, you it's know. It's bad for your joints when you're, you're, you know, running and you're not used to it. And your body's heavy. It's, yeah, it can yeah, be, yeah. You know. I mean, it is. Um, and what can I say? Like, I am one of the many, many, many Americans who does not do as much as they should mm -hmm. to, like, be a healthy person. Um, and it's a big problem, like, in our society mm -hmm. you know like americans we have one of the richest most technologically advanced you know societies that exist out there but our population health is not great right, right. primarily because of what we eat mm -hmm. and the amount of physical exercise that we do and i think in you know in our lives and in our politics it's not the subject of enough emphasis because it's less comfortable than kind of hoping for pharmaceutical breakthroughs. Right. Although fortunately we are getting some pharmaceutical breakthroughs, it, it looks like. from Right, this I'm not picking on you, but no, you, you understand that the way on. people would criticize this is they would look at you and look at the choices that you've made and say, this is crazy, this guy just wants to get a shot in the arm and doesn't want to do the other things that could significantly, significantly impact your mm -hmm. health. You don't want, you, you've decided to, for whatever reason, just say, I'm going to get this shot and then I'm going to be good. Whereas there's a lot of evidence that shows that you could increase your health. Like, what would have to happen? Well, you should do, do you both think, of those people, things. Right, but why don't you? Why don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm weak. I'm weak. Well, you're not weak. Don't say that. You can decide <laughs> you're weak. If you had to, if you knew that your life was in danger, yeah. you could do some pretty incredible things. But you're comfortable. You're relaxed, and you're pretty sure that's going to be taken care of with this vaccine. You know, the hardest thing that I ever did health-wise is I used to be a heavy smoker, which is obviously terrible for you. How many packs a day? Uh, I was smoking like a pack and a half a day. And my mother died of cancer. Um, uh, no, not lung, but she also smoked and, you know, likely related when I, when I was young, when I was in my early twenties, was it pancreatic? She was in her, uh, I think so. That's a big one with cancer. Um, with yeah. Cigarette she, 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 she was in, she was in her, her fifties and, you know, it was sad, obviously. And, uh, like it was terrible, you know? Um, and I finally, and then they, and they changed the laws, you know, about like smoking bars and stuff like that. And it was like a little like kick in the butt to like actually try to get my shit together. How old were you when you quit? Regard. Uh 26, 27. How, how long ago was that? Um so it would have been like 12 years ago. Um and it was like it was so fucking hard, you know? Mm. I mean, I did it, right? And lots of people Congratulations. Lots That's of people huge. have quit smoking over the yeah. years. Um but the one something that was helpful is that at that time in 
the history of our society, it was becoming kind of stigmatized. Mm -hmm. You know, like you couldn't smoke anymore in a bar or restaurant. They were getting rid of like the smoking sections and the airports and stuff. So already before I quit, it was like I knew I was out there, like on the like on the margins, you know, like standing outside in the cold and the pouring rain, being like, what am I doing? Like this like addict, right? Like mm-hmm. like I should get I should get it together. And so it was hard. It was hard to quit. It was hard to stay away from, you know, friends and, and people who are doing that kind of thing. But society like it was better. Like my life was my life was Yeah, so you're not a weak afterwards. person. That's a very difficult thing to do. Well, quitting, we did. quitting smoking is one of the hardest things to do. It's a really hard thing to quit, and they've engineered it so that those goddamn things are really hard to kick. You, have you ever seen that Russell Crowe movie, The Insider? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's I don't great. know how much of that is accurate because I'm, I'm just basing it <laughs> off that movie. But from the things that I've read, the articles about, like, they researched the actual chemicals that they're putting into cigarettes when they were making that movie, and it's based on a real scientist mm-hmm. who actually was working for the tobacco companies, was worried about his life because he was testifying about these these chemicals that they're putting into these cigarettes that make them even more addictive than just regular cigarettes. Like if you take like a American Spirits or one of those home rolled mm-hmm, cigarettes you can mm-hmm. make, those are bad, but they're not as bad. Yeah. Well, and you know what was actually the best thing for my health about this pandemic was just working from home. Because I used to work in one of those offices where they would have like snacks in the oh. office. And I hated it. I mean, I loved it, but I hated it. Right. And I always wanted to say like, 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 why do we have M&Ms in the office? Like, right. Now, some people can just walk between the men's room and a stack of M&Ms and their desk <laughs> all day, every day, and not stuff their face with M&Ms. Mm-hmm. I, was not, I was not succeeding with that. But you yeah. never, I never find myself sitting in my basement being like, what I ought to do right now is stop working, go walk three blocks to the store, buy a bunch of M&Ms, and eat a bunch of sugar and gross low quality chocolate. What like nobody your, does that. What if at your job they had stacks of cigarettes? There you go. No, and, that would be terrible, right? Like you know. Could you walk past those while you were qu- trying to quit? <laughs> that would be so bad. Got a little smoking patio. You could see it. It's right there. Oh, I go Jesus. through those gates. It'd be terrible. Freedom. It'd be terrible. <sighs> and it's yeah. like we were talking about on the airplane, right? Even in the middle of the pandemic, they're like, "You got to wear your mask. You got to wear your mask." Oh, but here's the snacks. Yeah. And it's like, that's not. It's not natural. There's some cognitive like dissonance that. involved in this whole thing. In L.A., uh, you can't do anything. But in Texas, you can go to restaurants. You wear a mask until you sit down. And then when you sit down, you don't have a mask anymore. But we're all breathing the same air. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. I mean, I think HEPA filters and d- doing things that they can to prevent people from showing up at work sick, whether it is a COVID test for all your employers. Uh, I have a friend who owns a restaurant, and she's implementing that and trying to do COVID tests for everybody that works there. Well, what they should have done was make testing much more available, much more broad, much more widespread. But you don't understand it's complicated. It's like it's not that they shouldn't have done it. It's like they didn't have a test for it. And then they developed a test, and then implementing that test on a large scale requires a, a, an infrastructure that wasn't available. No, 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 I know, but they didn't. Like, So the FDA, right, has mm-hmm. not been moving aggressively with the testing devices that are out there, right? They have this... Um, you know, a lot of them aren't accurate. That's one of the reasons diagnostic why Diagnostic mentality. Yeah. No, I know, I know. Um, but, you know, when so, like some universities because they have their own lab infrastructure, Mm -hmm. you know, have gone really big on testing their students. And it's worked pretty well. Um, And then others haven't. And it's, you know, it's college kids in dorms and they're partying and spreads a lot of of disease around. I don't know. I mean, this has not been 
our greatest hour as a country? No, no, it hasn't. We weren't prepared. Um, I think one good thing that may come out of this, if there is any good thing that would come out of this, is that in the future, if another pandemic arises, we'll be much better prepared for it. I think we'll be more accustomed to the idea and people will take precautionary steps quicker than they did back in, you know, April. And I definitely own more little HEPA air purifier machines than I used to. we got one over there. (laughs) And it's just masks and stuff. People, they they understand they can get them. I mean, one of the more unfortunate things that happened was Fauci told people not to wear masks and the masks aren't going to help you. And the reason why he did that is because he didn't want people buying masks Mm -hmm. and them not being available for first responders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the problem with that is now you know that they're willing to lie if they think it's within everybody's best interest if they tell you something that's not true. And the problem with that is, of course... Then everybody's like, well, what the fuck? Now, how do I know when to believe you? Like, don't believe me back then, because I only said it back then because I didn't want you to buy them all up. But now that they're available everywhere, yes, you have to wear What them. I really hope they do, and I don't think they'll do it, but, you know, the military does an after-action report on something. Mm-hmm. You look back, not, not to point fingers, not to be mad, but to, like, try to understand what did we do, what worked, what didn't work. What do we do next time? And the public health expert community really needs to do that. Because yeah. some of this stuff, you know, I, I think that's what happened with the masks. But, like, we don't really know. And there's got to be an inquiry. What, what do you mean, like, you think that's what happened with the masks? What way? Like, I think that they were concerned about shortages. Oh, they were. And that that's what Fauci and, said. And, and that that's why, that's why they came up with this. No, but it's Fauci like, has literally said Yeah, that. no, no. But, but it's like, we, we need everybody. The Surgeon General, the CDC. Like, everybody's got to get alignment. So, like, what happened here? Why did we tell people this? Right. Right? Why didn't we listen to the Asian health experts who mm-hmm. dealt with a more similar virus? And what was going on? And, like, how are we going to do better next time because you're right just coming out and being like oh no 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 trust us next time right like that doesn't work that's that's not how anything goes and you need some real searching self-criticism around some of that and us in the uh in the media you know there was a lot of credulity about those kind of statements when they didn't really make sense, mm-hmm. right? Just like logically. I remember a, a tweet from the, the Surgeon General, and he said like at the, in one tweet, oh, you don't need to go buy masks. They're not going to be helpful to you. Also, we have shortages for healthcare workers. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, what the fuck when somebody says something like that, right, it's like us in journalism, right? You're supposed to be saying, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, <laughs> What's doesn't. going on? And the most reliable source of information at that time was just people living in Asia. You know, people living in Hong Kong, in Taiwan. They had much better information over there. They were broadcasting it. Um, and if you listened at that time, you know, you would know about masks. You would know about the efficacy of quarantines. You would know about um, aerosolization and mm-hmm. ventilation and stuff like that. And we were just really slow. And, yeah. and got to be smarter. Yeah, it's not. It, it definitely was not our finest hour, like you said. One thing that I think we got to really talk about, Jamie. We, we wanted to talk about this before. There's a thing that's going around that uh, it it's a video clip that's been edited, and it's edited to make it seem like Bill Gates is saying that he's pushing this this vaccine because it's extremely profitable, and that there's uh, a twenty time. Like 20 times the amount you put in, you, you benefit from it financially. That is not what he's saying. This is really important. 
What he's saying is in vaccinating people and preventing illness, the health benefits to the economy overall has a, a tremendous impact in a positive manner mm-hmm. and is explaining this with with uh, third world countries and with other and he's he's talking about it purely from a humanitarian perspective he's not talking about it from this profiteering like vulture perspective yeah, it's a, like, a social yes, profit yes right? he's saying it you would not, like and it's really disingenuously edited and it was sent passed around to a lot of people and i i watched the video and i was like who would fucking say that what is he crazy like why would he <laughs> describe it like this publicly yeah he didn't yeah. It's not what he was saying. It's edited. What he was saying is when you vaccinate people and prevent these diseases, let's hear it just because it's it's really important because a lot of people have sent this to me and they, they need to hear this. Is it not working? You know, we're here. Do you have a, a Mac? Yeah. Doesn't it show it in your uh, your bar where you can rewind it? Not this one. Oh, you got a cheap ass bullshit Mac. Why well, also, I don't have the brand new one with that oh, bar. Just no. refresh the page. Pretty strong mess. <laughs> Okay, here it goes. Play it up here. Always do. You've kind of looked at the problem from a scientific and business perspective on things. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that. And it kind of stunned me. Can you walk us through the math? You see a, a phenomenal track record. It's been $100 billion overall that the world's put in. Our foundation uh, is a bit more than $10 billion, uh, but we feel there's been over a 20 to 1 return. So if you just look at the economic benefits uh that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else so you know we're here with a pretty strong message that uh although all these other issues are very important let's not forget about the great success in global health and maintaining that commitment i think the numbers that you ran through were if you had put that money into an s p 500 and reinvested the dividends you'd come up with something like 17 billion dollars but you think it's 200 but something recently Okay, so this is oh, the yeah. no, so no, no, this no. Is hold on, hold on, yeah. This is the distorted version. You could see in there that it's edited. Now, play the actual version, Jamie. In the actual version, you see that he's not talking about pure financial benefit We're for the people that invest big- in in the actual vi- to play the so this is very important. This is the real version of it. Over the last two without decades, the editing. And you figured out the return on investment for that. And it kind of stunned me. Can you walk us through the math? Well, it's pretty impressive that when you take these vaccines, uh, get them to be very inexpensive by making big volume commitments, have that right relationship with the private sector, uh, get the delivery system so they're really getting the coverage out there, you literally save millions of lives. And 20 years ago when we created these new multilateral organizations, Gavi for the vaccines, uh, Global Fund uh, for HIV, uh, TB and malaria, we didn't know they'd be successful. They've gone through lots of challenges about making sure the money gets there, making sure the efficiency is right. But as we look at upcoming replenishments for those, and we've got so much distraction uh, politically that the international uh, needs like this could uh, get eclipsed if we're not careful, you know, we see a, a phenomenal track record. It's been $100 billion overall that the world's put in. Our foundation uh, is a bit more than 10 billion, uh, but we feel there's been over a 20 to one return. So if you just look at the economic benefits, uh, that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else. The human benefit uh, in millions of lives saved. So, you know, we're here with a pretty strong message that 
uh, although all these other issues are very important, let's not forget about the great success in global health and maintaining that commitment. I think the numbers that you ran through were if you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You know, helping young children live, uh, get the right nutrition, uh, contribute to their countries, that has a payback that goes beyond any typical financial return. Right. Um, Scott See, that's what he really said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have edited that and they're passing it around like, oh, my God, this guy's a monster who just wants to give you this vaccine because he wants to make money. Clearly, that's not what he's saying. There's this weird narrative. There's this weird meme. Hmm. There's this weird conspiracy that Bill Gates is some fucking demon that just wants to make money off of vaccines and he's pushing vaccines. It's bad memories of that Clippy. Clippy? Yeah. You remember Microsoft Word? His old... What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Microsoft Office. It used to have this super annoying little helper guy named Clippy that would pop up and uh, correct oh, everything that you're doing. Oh, that dickhead! I yeah, remember he him. sucked, and it's uh, it's point. No, so yeah, no, no, no. Look, uh, I just Bill wanted to put that video out there because yeah. so many people have sent me the original video, and I've I got really tired of typing. That's not what he said. Nope. You got to listen to what he's, what he's talking about. Is the the benefit for society? Like the it's not just. Ben it's not just financial benefit from the companies that are making these vaccines. It's also the benefit for these children growing up and contributing to society and that the more we put into this, the better it is for everybody. And what he's talking about is trying to think smarter about philanthropy, yes. right? So, you know, he's a rich guy, like a lot of rich guys. He gives a lot of money away. Uh, but traditionally, you get a lot of, um, you know, put your name on the wing of a museum, uh, just give money to somebody who seems nice. And, and Gates has really been a leader in trying to think more analytically about what's a high value. He calls it their investment, mm -hmm. right, in making the world a better place. There's an organization um, and some people I'm friendly with run called GiveWell, and they do all this kind of analysis. And so they show that giving insecticide-treated bed nets uh, to people in West Africa to keep malaria off them. That's incredibly cost-effective. There's some uh, a group called Deworm the World, and they help kids in, I think, Central Africa with these intestinal worms that make it impossible to sort of be well-nourished because you've got parasites living in you. And it's, it's a hard problem, right, to understand not just how can you help people, but what's the best way to help people and you know what gates is saying is that childhood vaccinations are really up there they're yeah. high on the list of high return public health interventions because when you could save a kid's life that does so much yeah. good you know broadly speaking but it's bizarre that someone was willing to edit that clip and make it look like a completely different thing that he was saying and that this is uh this is one of the things that's going around today is that bill gates is somehow or another this evil person that wants to vaccinate everybody because he wants more money. Yeah. Like, that guy is worth so much fucking money, and he doesn't really work anymore. You have to realize, like, he's not really working at Microsoft well, anymore. And he doesn't work in pharmaceutical companies no. at all. No, his whole business model is really around, like, a, a giant percentage of it is around philanthropy. Yep. And that's what he's kind of dedicating his time and effort to. And to, the idea that all this positive stuff that that guy does is is all bullshit he really just wants money from you he's he's old he's got so much fucking money like what money. what do you it's so crazy it's just this is one of the weird things that's being um that's being tossed around today one of the weirder conspiracy theories about 
I don't, to, to, for a lack of better way to say it, unsophisticated people who uh, mm-hmm. are very attracted to conspiracy theories. That this is, uh, and I look at the first thing I saw it, I was like, "What is he saying? Why would he say it like that?" <laughs> and then uh, Jamie said, "Actually, that's a very edited clip." Here's the full one. I was like, well, that fucking makes sense. We got to tell people about this because it keeps getting tossed around. And just, I mean, anything you see, videos on the mm-hmm. internet, like before you hit the share button, like make sure you see it's so the easy to hit context. Share, no, I know. So he's like, fuck this guy. Send it. Send it. And yeah. This happens with all kinds. I mean, not just Gates, right? All kinds of things. People get little video clips mm-hmm. and somebody writes it up and they're like, here we go. Like yeah. your bad enemy just did something horrible. Right. And everyone's like, oh yeah, fuck that guy. Yep. Um, yep. And you really gotta, you gotta see it in the context. It's Nobody like wants the dumbest, that anymore, easiest though. thing. They want an abbreviated, very simple, hundred, not even new Twitter, old Twitter, 140 <laughs> characters. They want to boil it down to a couple sentences. That guy, a piece of shit, he's a fucking Nazi. Great. Yep. Now it's all I need to know. Nazi. Yeah. I've yeah. seen it. It's- no, I mean, it's a terrible habit. I mean, the, these kind of things, um, they prey on our worst information instincts and... And also, they prey on our reinforcement of our echo chambers. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. people love that. They love when, if like, if you can solidify your position within an ideology, like this ideology accepts me. I'm a part of this tribe. I'm gonna say some shit. That guy's a fucking Nazi. Yes, go Matthew. Yeah. You call him a Nazi. That's what you're supposed to do. But what happens when you meet a real Nazi now? Now, now, now you've called Ben Shapiro a Nazi. He's a Jew. Like, what happens when you run into an actual Nazi? Like there's real Nazis out there. Like now, you what do you call that? That's a Nazi Nazi. That's we a super the, Nazi. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, don't, I'm, I actually do try to stay. I away saw from someone Nazis. who I think is a really smart person called Candace Owens a Nazi. Okay, I'm like, okay, maybe she's misinformed. Maybe she says things that don't r- ring true with you. Maybe she's uh, maybe she's committed to an ideology that uh, maybe there's some financial benefit in doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's being paid to promote certain ideas that you don't think are accurate. That's not a Nazi. The difficulty with saying, I think this person has like the wrong ideas about yes. healthcare policy. Yes. Like, that's okay. Yeah. That's good. You disagree. Yes. yes. We, we, we disagree. Or the wrong ideas about race or the wrong ideas about I mean, about, about whatever, right? Whatever. I mean, it's like there's a yeah. lot of uh, topics to disagree about there's without a lot people of, being Nazis. But there's a lot of people that don't want to have those conversations. They would just rather categorize people in a very simple and simplistic way because it's more convenient. And there's also this willingness to dismiss people today. That is, uh, it's disconcerting. Well, and the extremism, you know, so I was just, you know, on Twitter and you see somebody saying, oh, well, she's a Nazi. And then mm-hmm. I think, oh, that's not really true. But then it's like, well, do I want to butt in? Right. Right? Because then people get upset. Right, right. Well, you don't want to get involved. Yeah. It, and then you have, you have this conversation that, look, I don't have the time to go back and forth on Twitter. I don't have the time to check in five <laughs> minutes how many people have responded to I respond to those people. Well, this guy's just attacking me for no reason. That doesn't make any sense. Well, this person's actually got a good point. Well, how do I how do I respond to this? Mm-hmm. And do I have? Yeah, the, you just give up all your hobbies, and you can. Oh, uh, that's the problem, and the, the the emotional commitment that you have to it, and the the, the connection. Like uh, uh, Jamie Kilstein is a guy who used to be like like a deep social justice warrior, and then he got attacked by them and ostracized for like not even anything that makes a lot of sense. But then was really kind of open about how crazy he was while he was doing it. He was like, I would post something on Twitter and then I'd be incessantly checking it throughout the day and walking down the street, checking it and trying to respond and see who's responding to me. And then feeling when someone was angry, you're like, ah, and then like getting involved in that. And 
just the the anguish and anxiety that I I look at so many people that fight on Twitter and I don't argue with people on Twitter at all anymore. I very rarely even respond to people. But what I do do is I'll follow a few people that are mentally insane, like literally genuinely mentally ill. They're they're intelligent people that have gotten lost in the Twitter web and they're stuck. And they just I'll, I'll go to their timeline just to reinforce that that this is actually what's happening. And I'll see the the de degrading of their their mental clarity over time. The fighting with people that goes on all day long. And you'll see eleven hours a day. Like literally, you look at their posts from the beginning when they start to when they end for the day, and it's eleven hours of fighting with people on Twitter. And you think about like what what else could you have done with that time? That would have been productive. Did you learn anything about people during this time? Did you score points? Did you should you be playing video games instead of this? Like, what do you need to do? Go fucking get a pickup game of basketball going or something. Like, what do you need to do that will give you some sort of a competitive feeling that instead you're 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 risking your emotions and I think taxing your mental health. I think there's a, a lot of I don't like the term mentally ill, but it is an illness. It's an illness. Like, you're trapped. Just the same way a gambling addict is mentally ill, Twitter addicts are mentally ill. There's something wrong with that. It's not good for you. And so many people are involved in it. So many people are locked into these really weird, condensed conversations where you're getting what uh, Alan Levinovitz calls uh, processed information. And he's like, it's bad for you the same way processed food is bad for you. Hmm. Like, it makes sense. The way he described it that way, I'm like, oh, that is a fantastic way of describing it. That is really what it is. It's processed information. Because <laughs> it's not a person <laughs> talking to you. It's true. I will say, though, you know, I feel like Twitter... Okay, I have two, two minds about Twitter. I have see people, and I see myself sometimes out there wasting time. It's like, what are you doing these fighting with people on mm -hmm. Twitter for? What's the point? I've also learned honestly a lot on twitter like i've met virtually or in real life a lot of interesting people out there who know a lot about different things it's it's cool you know for me that's why it's dangerous is that it's actually a genuinely powerful and tool. beneficial occasionally right and hard to just kind of step away from like right. i've come to have dialogue with nobel prize winners with mm. businessmen with successful politicians with a lot of interesting writers and thinkers and academics and scholars at, but then i've also gotten sucked into like being mad that so i think we could look at it like nobodies diet, right? are dunking on me yeah that's a problem nobodies they're people <laughs> matthew they're just people are they they're people I mean, we never know. They might be Russians. Yeah, sure. They might be working for the IRA. <laughs> you know, internet, internet research internet agency. Internet research agency. Yeah. Well, you got to stay away from, from Russians in general. They're, Russians what? on the internet. Really? I don't know. <laughs> They're doing something. I lived in Russia for a couple months a long time ago. Yeah? And, uh, what were you doing? Uh, I don't know. I was like a high school student. Um, so I was over there, and uh, it was like some weird exchange thing in 1998. Um, and we were helping, I was helping the advanced English class of Nizhny Novgorod School 54 and met a lot of interesting people. And at least one of them went on to work in the, like, Russian internet propaganda field. Really? Later. Do you stay in touch with them? Um, yeah. So she has a different perspective on Russian internet propaganda. What is the perspective? Well, she thinks it's good. Why? Uh, because, look, I... 
I don't endorse this viewpoint, I want to be clear, okay. but I do think a lot of Americans don't understand how Russian nationalists see the world, right? And they feel that there was a bait and switch after the Cold War, that it was supposed to be that communism was bad, that the Soviet dictatorship was bad, and that they liberated themselves from this bad regime, and that they were going to now have a better country. But then it flipped to America, quote unquote, won the Cold War. And then there was an ongoing process of anti-Russian American foreign policy that continued forward. And so that instead of disbanding NATO because the Cold War was over, it expanded, right, to the Czech Republic, to Estonia. Um, you know, there was war in Yugoslavia against Russia's traditional ally in Serbia, all these different kinds of things. Um, I don't I don't really endorse this point of view. I mean, I'm not a Russian nationalist, but it's interesting to hear from Russian patriots how they see this, that they feel that the United States, instead of saying, hey, congratulations, you're not under communism anymore, there's not a Cold War anymore, that we sort of doubled down, right, on geopolitical rivalry after then, and that they are just pushing back. So they're, they're pushing back by undermining democracy and pretending to be various groups and having them meet up and compete against each other and yeah, starting that's conflict. Yeah, that's where, that's where you get into the flaws. Yeah. Like, you say, well, you... How, does, how does it help to be, like, trying to sow like racial chaos in yeah. the United States. Like who who is the winner here? Um, so that's why I say like I don't endorse it. Uh, but I do think that Americans benefit from, I mean, not just Russia, but just like trying to understand what the world looks like to some of these other countries sure. that are like the the bad guys, quote mm-hmm. unquote, in our narratives. Right, like like Iran. Like trying to imagine what it's like to be Iran today when you learn that we assassinated one of their nuclear scientists, or if we didn't, the Mossad did, or right. someone did. Like we we're assassinating people over there, and then like if Amer- if someone yeah. was murdering American nuclear scientists, we'd be quite upset about it. On the flip side, Iranians are murdering Iranian patriots. Like they they murdered one of their uh, Olympic wrestlers. The government, yeah. The government. It's very executed bad. him because he participated in a peaceful protest. So they had him executed, and he's like, a, he's a Russian wrestling star. And uh, apparently he's like a, a national star, and they wanted to let everybody know, like, we don't give a fuck who you are. We'll kill you. No, I mean, if you're not on our side, we'll kill you. It has nothing to do with whether or not you've done a, a heinous crime. Like, you represent the resistance to our totalitarian regime, and we'll fucking kill you. So for the Iranians, I mean, it's got to be, they have to be pretty torn over there. I mean, I don't know how they, how they feel about us. I mean, I'm sure. But how the fuck do they feel about their own government? Right. I mean, it's a question of do they feel that we are actually helping right. them right. with their problems right. with their own government? Or are we, you know, part of, I mean, you look at some of our, uh, for, you know, our our friends in that region, the Saudis and the Emiratis and stuff, those governments aren't so hot no. either. And well, it's, uh, the Saudis, that the all, I mean... The, the, I don't know how they feel about wrestlers attending Jamal, protests, Kisho- but Kishogi, I'm guessing not that good. The Khashoggi thing is right. just fucking insane. I mean, have you, uh, you know, um, 
Brian Fogel, the guy who did that documentary, mm-hmm. Icarus, you know, he has a, a new documentary coming out called The Dissident about the Kosogi. Oh, it's fascinating. Have you seen see it that? Yet? No, 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 I haven't seen it. I've, I've, see I've seen it. It's amazing. I mean, it's, that's just so... It's heartbreaking, but it's it's amazing, and it's it's, uh, it's deeply disturbing. It's like you, you watch that documentary, and you're like, holy shit, man. Is this the clip for it? Yeah. When yeah. is that available? January 8th. He'll be in here. There you go. Talk about that. It's, uh, he's amazing. His that The work that he did with the Icarus was bananas. Like It completely blew the lid off of the Russian doping, mm-hmm. uh, Olympic mm-hmm. doping, the fact that they, they literally figured out how to break into the piss supply and, and change the piss bottles out. You know, they, they literally took out the bad piss and put in the good piss. There you go. Yeah. P heist. Yeah, I mean they 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 basically had a state sponsored uh pro doping entity that was disguised as an anti doping agency. I mean, That's they, crazy. They they doped all their athletes. <laughs> yeah. Never but, here. I don't know. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um I'm uh I'm ner- I'm nervous about this country. Because I feel I feel like I've I've never seen us more divided and more um, more willing to be divided. Like uh, this is a like what you were talking about, like you going on the Ben Shapiro show, the people would be upset with you. This is not a I mean, this is not a, a normal thing for us to be so divided and so willfully divided. And I think social media accentuates that, and particularly the algorithms in social media they accentuate that. You yeah, know. I think the the difference between what we've often had which is diversity and disagreement and big gaps and what we have now which is alignment right where like everything is about everything Mm -hmm. um that kind of totalizing polarization nationalization of everything social media algorithms it's it's troubling you know it's a hard way to live it's a hard way to think about problems it makes it difficult to think about the concrete aspects of governance like are we running a good high school system you know like is this working it's like people aren't focused on the sort of tangible parts of politics and are very focused on the symbolic ones which are hard because when something's tangible you can work together right you can compromise you can reconcile you can try it his way Right. See if it works on symbolic stuff. You know, what does it mean to be an American? Who who are we? That's that's really challenging. I hope we can, like, turn the dial down. A How little do bit. we do that? Though? But I don't know. It's do like you... it has to come from it has to come from people. You know, everybody complains about what's in the media, but the audience drives a lot of what's in the media. In what way? I mean, it depends, like, what do people subscribe to? What gets clicked on? What do people watch? Right, but that's that's saying that the media is only going to produce things that get the most amount of views and not produce things of quality, not produce things that they think are going to be interesting or intriguing. So instead of making their business model, let's do the best show we can mm-hmm. do, they make their business model, let's do a show that will get the most views. Let's do a show that will create the most controversy because that'll be worth the most money. 
That's yeah. one thing that I've gone way out of my... I've had controversial people on this podcast and have controversial subjects, but I don't do it because I want more views. I do it because I want to have these conversations because I think it's interesting. And I like talking to weirdos, and I like talking to intelligent people, and I like talking to idiots. I like talking to a lot of people. They're fun. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> but having something where your business model is entirely based on getting the most amount of views... That is a problem in and of itself. Absolutely. It's, but it's not the people's problem. It's the problem of the person creating it because you've decided to create something that it's only designed to get a lot of views. I agree. It's like an algorithm. You, you're basically a human algorithm. Your show's an algorithm. Right. Well, or you're you're just programming for algorithms. Yes. And yeah. it's not good. And it's not what anyone like says they want to be doing. Right. But it is what happens. Well, this is why I asked you this. Do you think that there's benefit that maybe there's a way that with this idea that you have of having a country with a billion people, do you think that this would force more of a melting pot type situation and have less polarization that maybe it would be better if there was more of us that we I would... mean, the idea is that it would be better to have a big aspirational goal, right? And so that kind of growth, Right, that we are going to triple the population, that we are going to uh, support people having having bigger families or, or families at all, that we're going to be more open to immigrants, that we're going to build the infrastructure transportation-wise that it takes, that we're going to dedicate ourselves to being number one forever and not kind of slipping behind but China how does and this, India. How does this, if at all, how does this help stop this polarization that we're experiencing? Because it gives us something to work on together right it's like going to the moon or facing down the soviet union it's like it's a it's a project that right now for the past 10 15 years all of our politics is picking at the scabs of sort of division that exists mm -hmm. in our society which are real you know like lifestyles are different values are different i mean everybody knows that you go around but we have a lot in common. I mean, I started talking about, you know, China is trying to use their, their market power to sort of censor Americans. And nobody in America thinks that's good, mm. right? Like, there's nobody is like, yeah, I think it's great that, like, Marvel had to take a Tibetan character out of uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, that's, yeah. you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It is kind of a big deal, though. But it's BS. Yeah. Like, what, like what, what is that, right? And... It puts in perspective, like, what our disagreements actually amount to, that, like, when you compare us to China, this is gulf, right? And, like, don't we want to stay, number one, don't we want to have the biggest market, the biggest economy? So you, do you think that top? it's ever possible, though, to... If we got big enough, we mm. could ignore the influence of China. Do you think they would put that money aside? Because China's always going to be big. Well, I don't think you ignore it, but, but you are able to have the upper hand. Do you really think that we could ever get to a point where Marvel would say, you know what, fuck China, we're putting a Tibetan guy in there. It's supposed to be Tibetan. Well, you're in a place where you can say to them, you've got to. We don't have to make it a white woman Yeah. with a bald head. Let's make it a Tibetan guy like it is in the comic book. I think in the comic book it's a guy, right? I think so, yeah. Well, either way, it's the Tibetan. It's definitely Tibetan. Yeah. The ancient one. Yeah. I don't think it's a woman either. I think they went full diversity. They, 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 maybe it's a good move going with a bald lady and people will say less shit than if you go with a, a I mean, white I think man that that's, I think that that's right. You, you, you gender bend it. Yes. So then it, it's like, well, 
maybe you shouldn't criticize that right because it's good but it's like no we know what actually is motivating yeah this it's and gross and it's it sucks but do you think we could ever get to a point where china wouldn't have an influence because china is still going to be a billion people in a huge market they're big but i think we can be number one i mean there's beyond growth like i think that we have to be more forceful government wise in how we treat our own company's willingness to cater into that. Like, I think that we need to put some social pressure, if nothing else, on Hollywood to not do that kind of thing. But see, they did hedge their bets by making it a woman. It was, like, very (laughs) clever. Sure. It's a clever little way of being a bitch. Um, Do you remember when the World Health Organization, there was a, a, a spokesperson for the World Health Organization being interviewed by this woman, and she kept asking them about Taiwan, mm-hmm. and he uh, he hung up the phone, mm-hmm. he hung up the show, the camera, and then when he came back on, she was like, uh, "So we were talking about Taiwan." He's like, "Well, China's done an amazing job, and I think we've kind of covered that." Yeah. And she's like, "What?" And everybody's like, "Look at this." He won't even mention Taiwan, mm-hmm. like because Taiwan is not a recognized entity mm-hmm. by the People's Republic of China, or whatever the fuck they call themselves. That's the type. I mean, you know, the WHO is like a unique. Uh, bind in that regard but it's you know it's troubling right like when you see the olympics right on nbc like the broadcast was referring to taiwan as chinese taipei which was like some kind of international yeah and you're watching like this is bs you know like it's fine if the ioc itself because like you want to have china in the olympics it's a big country and so you know they want to be a pain in the ass about it i don't know maybe you got to give in but like an American television broadcaster. It's like have some self respect. Yeah. Chinese it's it's Taipei. called Taiwan. I yeah. like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what Taiwan means or I was just like that's what it's called. Yeah, you're not allowed to say I'm, it. I'm though. not gonna pretend. Isn't that amazing though that they're willing to capitulate? But that's what people do. You oh, know, it's so weird. The like the Doctor Strange thing is weird, but there's a lot of instances. The NBA thing's weird. There's so many of these things that are weird. You're like, what? Really? But you just realize how much money's coming from China. Yep. And that, you know, they've worked very hard to expand that influence and reinforce that influence. They're very deliberate about it. And yeah. I think it's something America needs to be more serious about, you know. And I think people, just like people in culture and society, need to be more outspoken that like, you know, because each little compromise, I'm sure whoever in the script meeting was like, can we just make this a white lady? Yeah. I was like, well, what's the big deal? Right. Well, okay. But we're like completely erasing. The Doctor Strange. Tibetan, yeah. Well, also Tibetan, Tibetan culture, culture, right? Yeah. You know, like oh, Tibetan culture is not that big a deal in the United States, of course, because we're the United States. But this is one of its footprints, mm-hmm. right? And to just. Yeah. snuff it out like that because of chinese money because you want the chinese market and like that's that sucks yeah there was a video about all the different things they've done to films to cater to chinese markets and how different they make these movies it's and it was really bizarre yep um would that change at all if there was a billion americans i mean i think it would i think that the more america has clout the more we can say Look, you have to say no to Chinese censorship if you want to be in the American market. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to be a realistic approach if we slip and fall further and further behind. See, but they don't know that there's Chinese censorship until after the fact we find out, well, Dr. Strange's mentor was actually supposed to be a Tibetan man. They turned into a bald lady. Well, no, I mean, with like with the movies, there's a whole process. Uh, Pen America did a good report about this, but like where Hollywood films are submitted to the Chinese censors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ought to say, I mean, the whole billion thing aside, like, I think we ought to say, like, no, like, you can't, you can't do that. Did, uh, you know, if the Chinese don't want to let you send your say movie. say no to that? Didn't, did Tarantino say no to the editing of scenes? I think there was a, a thing they wanted edited out. It might have been about Bruce Lee. Because, hmm. you know, there's this, which I found uh, distasteful, even though I'm a giant Tarantino fan, his portrayal of Bruce Lee is just not accurate. It made him look like a buffoon. Oh, in uh, Once, Once Upon a Time, time in Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. I think they resisted the changing. Is that true? Here it is. Uh, Tarantino, uh, yeah, one of the rare is. directors with the power to demand final cut on his relatively expensive films, reportedly has no intention of re-editing the picture. Not for Shannon Lee, not for Chinese censors squeamish about the film's graphic violence, not for any reason. Yeah, he refuses to recut for the Chinese market. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, that that Bruce Lee was not... It was scroll funny. Down, scroll down on But it's not really fair to him. Okay, look at that. The film will not be released in China. Mm-hmm. Wow. He refused to edit the Bruce Lee scene out in order to secure a theatrical re- release in China. Yeah. The Bruce Lee scene is a, is a problem for Bruce Lee fans who like know of the historically wise Bruce Lee. Like Bruce Lee was very wise, and they made him look like a fucking idiot in that movie. And it's kind of unfortunate. And he's kind of doubled down on the criticism of that. But I don't think he was a Bruce Lee fan. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a deep fan of Bruce Lee, like you could say – because of some things that he said that maybe he was arrogant. I would argue that he's very confident. And one of the reasons why he's very confident is he was, at the time, the premier martial artist of the generation and reintroducing martial arts and also a pioneer of this eclectic style of martial arts, which was completely taboo and forbidden. Martial arts were always very segregated. Like the, the people who did Kung Fu felt like what they did was the best. The people who did karate thought what they did was the best. And you did not share information, mm. exchange techniques, and you did not incorporate them together into one system. What he did was like completely taboo. And it turned out to be the very best way of expressing martial arts. Mm-hmm. What he did was he's literally the founder of mixed martial arts, right. putting all these styles together. But to sort of characterize him as this cartoonish arrogant buffoon it's like it's not accurate i mean look bruce lee deserves a respectful movie yeah about his life and his contributions things like that at the same time i think it's great that tarantino had he wanted to do it that way for you know whatever reason yeah and he didn't change it yeah because the chinese government wanted him to right i mean it's like yeah you know I really like Tarantino movies. I love There've them. always been people who don't like them. Yeah. And that's fine too. They're probably my all-time favorite movies. If I had like one director who's made like a group of movies I go, I can always count on this guy. Mm-hmm. It's Tarantino. They're always wild. They're fucking crazy. All of his movies. Yeah, they're weird. I mean, that's yeah. his thing, right? And he like writes history. A lot of stuff gets extreme. Yeah. And it's outlandish and it would be a shame to let the government of China 
second guess those Agreed. decisions. Agreed. You know, and there's always in any one of those movies, there's something that's too far, that's yeah. too much for somebody. Oh, you yeah. know? And it starts right with Reservoir Dogs and they're sawing the guy's ear off. Yep. And you know, it's yep. horrifying. Uh, yeah. But I love that movie. And Yeah, they're fucking great. They're great. They're great movies. And they're yeah, they're they're nuts. But that's also why people go to see them. You know you're in for a ride. You go for a Tarantino movie, you're you're not you don't think you're gonna see Mary Poppins. You're going to see some <laughs> wild, crazy yep, shit. Something some guy's gonna smash some woman's face into a mantle in a fireplace and kill her, and you're like, Holy fuck, this is nuts. Like the the dog's gonna bite that guy in the dick. Oh my god, this is crazy. You know, they're wild movies, man. It's hard to be genuinely shocking in this day and age. Right. And also genuinely I mean, I was I was watching once time in Hollywood, and it's like they got the flamethrower out in the pool, mm-hmm. and I'm laughing. I'm laughing my ass off in the theater, and then I'm thinking, it's like, why? Why am I laughing? At this? <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. Like yeah. that's that's the magic of the movies. Well, that's know? the magic of his movies. Yeah, he uh, knows how to make a Tarantino movie better than anybody. And the amazing thing is that there really haven't been very many people that have tried to duplicate that and be successful. I, I guess you could say that Robert Rodriguez is in a similar vein mm-hmm. with some of his films, but it has his own flair as well. Like his films, like um, they have like Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. That's a Rodriguez film. It's got Tarantino's actually in it, right? Yeah. He's one of the bad guys in it. But that film, it's c- kind of, it's in the same vein, but, but his own Well, thing. there was this like Tarantino ripoff era. In the '90s, right? right? So you would get movies like uh, like Things to Do in Denver when you're dead, yeah, uh, which is okay, yeah, a pretty good movie, right? What is that? You wrote it. Oh, that's there why. you go, <laughs> there you go. Well, so that's why it's similar. <laughs> that totally um, makes sense. But Tarantino then totally transcends that genre, yes. right? So it's like, yes. hey, no, he doesn't just make hard boiled crime movies, right. right? He makes a World War II movie. Mm-hmm. He makes. Uh, Fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He makes yeah. a Western. He yeah. makes Django, right? Mm-hmm. And it's much more... Hateful Eight. Visionary. Yeah. Than looking at Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and saying, oh, well, these are movies about criminals in Southern California who say funny stuff to each other. Right. Right? Like, right. Well, that's where the frauds come in, right? Right. Yeah. The, the What is that? The one, there's two fucking stupid oh. movies with the... Well, you know what I'm talking about? You know? What is it? The Brothers? Yeah. We're not Saints. That's it. <laughs> That's the worst version of it. Oh. There's a bunch of people who love that fucking movie. I and I want to know who know, they are. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I want to <laughs> I want to get their Track email Track them addresses. down. They're canceled. I want to send them That's... nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you do long shows, man. Yeah. You okay? You got to pee? <laughs> you hanging in there? I'll survive. Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like I feel like that's how you really get to know somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, this idea has to have some drawbacks, right? Mm-hmm. What about all the waste? What about all? I mean, is it, you're just relying on science. You're relying on technology. There's problems already with dealing with enormous numbers of people. You you triple that sure. in America. We already have problems with fracking and problems with nuclear waste and problems with industrial waste. Yeah, so I mean, I do. I want people to know that the United States is a very low population density country right now. I am not talking about us pushing the frontiers beyond what is possible in human societies. Japan, Korea, Taiwan, to say the country's proper name, those are all much denser than even a billion Americans. So- I don't think we need, like, off-the-wall science to address these kind of things. Number one, 
absolutely 100% real drawback is traffic. Um, you know, it's like the pettiest thing, like, uh, traffic jams. But it is 100% true that the more people you have, the worse your traffic issues kind of get. So I love transportation policy. And my original draft of the transportation chapter, my editor was like, it's, it's a bit much, Matt. You got you to gotta reel it back here. Um, there's a lot that we could do to have better transportation infrastructure in terms of pricing our roads, in terms of being smarter about how our commuter rail works, in terms of being smarter about how we locate houses. I mean, if you like to nerd out on transportation stuff, the book is in it for you. But it is true that this would be tough, right? That America does not have a great record at its civil engineering. Uh, Our projects are incredibly more expensive than what people in Europe and Asia spend on them. And getting control of that and executing things that really make sense would be challenging. Because when you look at our fast-growing cities, I mean, we've talked about Los Angeles, but, you know, you look at Atlanta, you look at Dallas, places that a lot of people are rushing to. It's not um, there's nothing wrong with those places. Like, they're great, thriving cities. But the infrastructure build-out is not great. They sort of take what works for medium-sized cities and then just do more and more of it. And it's a big problem, you know? I don't think, I don't think people are wrong to be concerned about those kinds of things. Um, waste. Waste. What do you mean waste? Just like trash? Just everything. Everything that we have. Plastic, everything we have. Recyclables, everything that we have. Well. Waste from, I'm I'm assuming we would have to build things here. Yeah. Got to build things. Right. Um, So we have to manufacturing waste. mm -hmm. But, you know, we are getting better at those kind of pollution things, right? The air and the water are much cleaner than they were a couple generations ago. We are, you know, even beyond like the electric cars and all that really good stuff, even our gasoline-powered stuff has gotten cleaner, uh, which is all really good. And, you know, so I don't think that we have sort of unmanageable waste problems or going to in the future, particularly because you consider, look, if more people move here, it's not like there wouldn't be waste like back where they were coming. Have you from. ever seen what happens in Los Angeles when it rains? What does happen? A bunch of things happen. One of the things that happens is the ocean becomes. I don't recommend impossible anyone to go into. People that surf that didn't know, like a, a friend of mine was a yoga instructor. Oh, the runoff he's from Argentina, and he didn't understand that when you uh, deal with rain and the runoff, you literally shouldn't be in the ocean because it's toxic. Mm. And he got really sick because he basically got poisoned. Because he's in this water that's just filled with pollution because it's all coming down the L.A. Mm-hmm, River, mm-hmm. which is really just a fucking cement tube. Yeah. So you're, it's in plastic and garbage and all the oil from the water or, or the oil from the roads, rather, because the wa- it never rains. Mm-hmm. And when it does rain, you're dealing with layer upon layer upon layer of oil that's just seeped into the, the s- city streets and all that shit, all the pollution, all the brake dust, mm-hmm. everything, just, it's washed off into the ocean. Imagine that with three times the number of people. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This is like an area that I wish I knew more about. I know that in the part of the country where I live that there used to be much, much more severe problems with wastewater runoff into the Potomac River, mm-hmm. into the Chesapeake Bay. What did they do? And, to and there was a big that? effort to mitigate it, and I honestly don't know oh. exactly what it was. Um, this is like, you know, I got to do a good interview. Uh, but it, it's... It is doable 
is I guess what I'm saying. A lot of East Coast rivers, the Hudson, around where, where I grew up, have gotten much cleaner over mm-hmm. time by trying to manage the wetlands, things like that. Um, I don't know what the Los Angeles situation is exactly. Uh, but so, I mean, this is definitely the area where I kind of take the most heat from people is on these environmental, ecological type issues. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I get it. At the same time, I don't think we can have a solution for our society that involves shrinking and having fewer people, right? Mm -hmm. Or just wishing away the desire for economic development in the third world, right? Or developing world, I guess is the, the polite phrase for it. You know, either we are going to be able to come up with you know, the electric vehicles, the clean fuels, the next generation nuclear stuff, all those kinds of things that let us have a prosperous, clean planet, or else we're not. But saying, well, we're going to like shrink our country or not allow people to move here, to me, that's like a kind of a fake solution. Hmm. Um, th- other drawbacks, like, what are the main criticisms that people have? What, what, first of all, have people criticized this arbitrary number of a billion people? Like, how do you, uh, how do you justify <laughs> that you've come up with this? Is just to be provocative? Like, how'd you come up with that number? I mean, it's not arbitrary, arbitrary, it's triple what right. we have right now. It would equal China as they're coming in decline. I totally can see it. Like, look, if we had 850 million. If we had 1.1 billion, it's fine. It's just a ballpark. You got to have an anchor. I think if you do anything in life, it's like good to have a goal. Mm-hmm. And the goal can be a little bit arbitrary. So the goal is a billion? Yeah. Can you imagine someone saying that, though? Like, if, I, I mean, obviously you are saying it, but imagine someone saying that on television. They're running for president. And like, what we need is a billion people in this country. So start fucking. No, Everybody, but like, get so, together you know, and have more so, so it's like, you know, so Kennedy said, we're going to put a man on the moon within this decade. And as it happens, we did, right, 1969. If the Apollo program, if it had taken until 1971, like, what's the big deal? Like, right, wh- like what's the difference? You but you set a goal. That's a very different goal than just a billion people. Like, people would want to know, like, why a billion? And what are you going to do with this billion? And why would it benefit us to have so many more people? And how is this going to make us stronger? Mm-hmm. How is this going to be if you're about American exceptionalism and yeah. about American nationalism? Like, what's what's good about a billion people that's not good about 300 and whatever million people that we have right 330. now? 330. Well, but I mean, bigger is better. Do we have 330 now? Yeah. Is that a fact? I mean, I'd take 2 billion, 3 billion. I mean, it makes what? it. it makes it, What? Wow. 3 billion here? You could really get him. ten times what we have now. I don't. I don't know where the three How billion would dare come you, from. Matthew. You're talking crazy now. Uh, I want us to be the biggest country in the world. What about the food? How are we growing all the food? Oh, we got lots of food. Oh, do we though? America's got too much. Food. Yeah, we also have factory farming that we're also trying to like factor out. Yeah. Don't don't don't, don't you think that most people, if they could, I mean that's why they have ag gag laws. I think right? it's to weird actually that. that we we export. We're such a big farm exporting country, mm-hmm. which like to me that's like it's fine for like New Zealand, you know, to just like sell primary agricultural products. Yeah, they like, sell a lot of meat. Yeah, America, we should we should eat our own food. Right, but you know the, a lot of stuff that they send out is just like, you know, surplus corn and and yeah. things along those lines. You yeah, know, we probably shouldn't be growing. So we have less. Uh, 
farmland, actually, than we did 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet way, way, way more food because uh, the productivity has just surged. But, you know, there's upward. also a, a, a real problem with topsoil. There's a diminished topsoil in this country that is pretty significant, and they don't really have a way to uh, replenish it. Other than the people that are doing um, regenerative agriculture, mm-hmm. which, which is uh, a different way of farming than monocrop agriculture. Mm-hmm. Monocrop agriculture, when they're growing like hundreds or thousands of acres of corn, it's totally unnatural. It's right. very, it's not normal. And they have to replenish that soil with nitrogen. They have to do th- different things to try to fertilize the ground. But there's a, an estimation of the number of years that we have of topsoil left, and I think it's less than 60. I think it's some crazy low number of years that we can continue with the process that we're currently using. And, you know, there's a lot of scrambling because a lot of people feel like we're regenerative agricultural, even though you can buy food from these farms that essentially has almost a zero carbon impact, mm-hmm. like overall, because... That's the way animals are supposed to live. They're supposed to eat the grass and then shit and the manure becomes a part of the fertilizer. It's all alfalfa. Yeah, it all like stuff. grows into a ton. And they're also not supposed to have monocrops, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't feed enough people with like fast food and all the things that people desire today with the structures that are in place in terms of like delivering chicken to Chick-fil-A and beef to <laughs> Jack in a Box. You're not going to get that through the same kind of regenerative agriculture because it doesn't yield the same amount of animals per acre, right? You'd have to have much more ground, and you'd only have a certain amount of areas that are capable of doing this. Like, you have to have areas that are growing a lot of grass naturally. You have to have areas where these cattle can live year-round. You have to – there's a lot – yeah, look, I mean, there's going to be a lot of issues but about that's a big one, right? about agriculture. Well, this is not really about population growth, but about the sustainability of the food system and also uh, climate change, right? Which is going to alter where crop yields are high and where they're mm-hmm. low. I mean, not just here, but all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there is an incredible need, I think, to push those kind of better farming practices, different eating practices. I mean, we were talking before, it's not good for us to have, like, the the processed food machine Mm -hmm. is an incredible business success story, but it's not good for us as people uh, and probably not sustainable as a sort of soil management thing. So, you know, I agree. Like, we need to go back to that. Uh, But the world on a calories basis just has an incredible amount of food to sustain human life. Yeah, but people need more than calories. They need nutrition. Right, 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 right. But we are on the wrong side already of that curve, right, in terms of these, like, meat yields and factory farming and overuse of the antibiotics and stuff there. If we were to pull back on those kind of things that are problematic for completely separate reasons, that actually increases increases the amount of like grain and acres and stuff that's available because meat is this incredibly inefficient use of the land is that wait a minute so how so would you say that people have to change their diet then so if you're ramping it up to a billion people you're gonna have to cut out meat consumption no i'm not saying people have to we have to do that to get to a billion we can have to change their meat consumption we could leave everything in agriculture absolutely the same and have a billion people. We would just not be exporting agricultural goods. We'd be consuming them domestically. Like, um, America grows 
far more food than 330 million people need. But do we grow enough meat and eggs? Yeah. And all well, that I mean, stuff we're, to, to we're shipping a billion people? Yeah, because we, we're right now feeding foreigners with it. Now, but, I thought you got into, I think, an interesting point, which is just our agricultural system has a lot of problems with it mm-hmm. that should probably be addressed. But it's separate from the population issue. I mean, right now, But wouldn't it agriculture, be exacerbated by an increased population? No, I mean, we would be redirecting our agricultural product from external markets to an internal market. Yeah, but you're saying this market. like you're the Chinese government and not individual farmers and businesses that have set up a life of, of doing things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not like you can have some national government mandate where the, they come in and tell you, this is what you're growing now. Fuck your alfalfa. You need to start growing wheat. You wait, need wait, to start wait, wait. growing. The- no, no. I'm just saying we've got two separate questions here. One is, does the United States produce enough food to feed a billion people? Right. And I'm saying it does right now already. Is that real? Though? Them- it's hundred so percent. Do real. we ship two thirds of our food overseas? More. More than two thirds. I mean, it's just an incredible. We ship two thirds of our meat. This is why you chicken. know when when all the when all the trade stuff was going down with China, right? The issue was always the farmers. We made these huge payments to American farmers to make up for their sort of loss of those mm-hmm. external markets right. because Americans don't buy enough food to keep the American farm sector in business. But then you raised, I think, the excellent point, and this is not in the book, but just like the farm system that we have is kind of dysfunctional. You know, like it, we could just continue with soybean monocultures and exporting all this corn oil all around the world. Uh, you know, we are sending corn to Mexico now as a result of NAFTA, right? And A, I mean, it's like, They traditionally cultivated corn in Mexico. It's a very Mexican thing to have corn. Also, we're the rich country, and they're the poor one. And normally trade would go in the other direction, right? Exports would come, you know, raw materials from the less developed countries. Uh, But America is just such an incredible farm superstar. Uh, The other really weird thing is that we're the world's number one agricultural exporter. Number two is the Netherlands, which, you know, that's like a tiny-ass country, super-duper crowded. But that's because their farming operates on totally different principles from ours. Everything's in greenhouses, and the yield per, what do they call it, hectare over there, is astronomical compared to Mm. what we do because it's a much more capital-intensive system. Uh, So it's more expensive. But, you know, they get staggering amounts of fruits and vegetables and things like that grown out of very, very small areas of land over there. So there's a lot of different things you can do with an agricultural system. But our way is just great at using land lavishly Mm because we have a lot of land and not a lot of people want to work on farms. You know, we have very few farmers in America, Mm -hmm. but an incredible amount of farming um, and that's what drives these monocultures because they're very efficient in that sort of sense. But we may want to rethink it because there's a lot of ecological issues. Right. What, what would be the method that you would rethink this? Like, how do you get these farmers on board, these farmers that are receiving subsidies for growing corn? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like, how would you how would you shift that? It seems like a, you're asking a battleship to do a figure eight. Well, no, but you were the one who was asking. How so? I mean, I was just saying we grow plenty of food. 
right? But, but then but, you were bringing up these points about the topsoil yeah. and other things like that. So well, what do you want to do? Just so let that's it a, fucking die out? Well, it's a question we're going to have to address yeah. one way or the other, right? And, you know, we gotta we got to look at the subsidies, right? We need to change what we pay people to do mm-hmm. and pay them to do something that's more beneficial uh, to society. Um, which I think should be possible. I mean, people like money. Yeah, but the, the growing of all that food is beneficial to society. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they received subsidies in the first place was this all post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know the whole reason for it, because they, they thought that there was going to be, like, legitimate... Uh, they, they really thought there was going to be a problem with the food supply. Hunger, yeah. And so to subsidize the farmers meant that, listen, we're going to make sure that we put money into this so we have a stable food supply so that we have stockpiles. So that there is a situation where something's wrong. We can we can get food to people. We will mm-hmm. have food. We'll pay these farmers. To this day, we have a yeah. national cheese stockpile. Yeah. It's, it's a miracle. But what do you think we should do about the topsoil? Something has to be done where we, I, I don't know if it's even possible to, again, turn that battleship around and, and make these enormous monocrop agriculture organizations, these huge companies, change how they do things. But what, there, there has to be a way to use regenerative agriculture where there's a, there's a natural method, and the natural mm-hmm. method is how the world works in terms of the wild. The animals chew the grass, they shit it out, it fertilizes, and there's a, because of that, in the wild, you have rich soil in a lot of the places where there is grass and these animals grazing. You don't really have that when you beat that ground into the dirt, you know, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, some method has to be devised in order to make that soil vibrant. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that would be. I mean, it seems like there's a problem with growing what we're growing now for the population that we have now. But you're saying that we give away or we outsource or ship out, export two-thirds of the food that we make. I didn't know it was Well, I'm high. saying we're exporting, we're exporting these tremendous amounts of meat, right, mm-hmm. of pork, especially over to Asia, uh, beef and to some extent to parts of the world. And that consumes a huge amount of land to grow the feed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't need to be doing that i mean we do it it's a it's a good business um for pork people uh but the environmental impact of the sort of pork the the like pig shit lagoons oh, and I've stuff seen that. like it's hard you ever seen that one video where the guy has a drone and he flies it over this area yeah yeah it's stunning it's, it's they've got lakes of pig shit yeah it's not great it's hard. the smell must be fucking insane you know my parents used to live in harrisburg pennsylvania mm-hmm. and when i went to visit them I would drive through this area of Pennsylvania that was all farms, mm-hmm. and it was so nasty. You'd have to roll your window up. And I'd be like, imagine living here. Imagine if you have a house over there, but this pig farm over here is just ru- – or cattle farm, I don't know what it was – is ruining everything for you. You can't smell outside because outside smells like shit. Like literal shit. Yeah, that's not great. And they have the ability to do that. You're, you're not just polluting the air. You're polluting life. Like life smells like shit. Like you smell the roses. Yeah, I smell shit and those roses. Like no matter what you do, you're smelling shit. It's everywhere. And you're breathing in those particles no matter what you do. Yeah, the pork. The pork people. I was in uh, Denmark one time 
And some people took me to see a factory or some kind of facility where they were turning pig shit into biodiesel mm. to run, uh, you know, fuel trucks. And it was the most foul-smelling thing that oh, I've ever seen. I can only imagine. Because they had to concentrate pig shit in a, I think, probably beyond the lagoon level <laughs> oh. to, like, pipe it into this place. Um, can you imagine, though, running yeah. your truck off, uh, off pig shit? Well, what people want... You know, when people talk about like a healthy way of life, they talk about sustainability. They talk about having like a, a communal farm that mm -hmm. the neighborhood shares. They talk about, you know, figuring out a way to incorporate animal manure and the agriculture and food waste and use that for composting and to have some sort of a natural way of, of, of living and dealing with the land. You're right? Yeah. Um, that is true. No, look, I mean, I think these like agricultural questions are really, really fascinating for the sort of long term environmental picture uh, of the planet. Um, but I feel pretty confident that it is solvable. How I would mean, you solve the topsoil issue? How would I solve the topsoil issue? I mean, as you say, it is difficult politically to get people to change anything. But we have a lot of money, right? There's a lot of federal policymaking going into the agricultural process. And we probably have to put more into it because, you know, you're going to ask people to change. Um, and then, as you say, like, we've got to tell you, look, if you want to get this money, you have to move to these more integrated methods where you don't have the same crop in the same field year after year after year. Well, what about people that aren't receiving subsidies? What about mm -hmm. people that are just growing food and selling that food like how do you get them to shift and what do you do if, if well i don't think there's a big problem with the smaller they call it like specialty crop uh kinds of things i mean i might be wrong but I, my my impression is that these problems come from the large like one crop enterprises that are sort of dominant in the midwest mm -hmm. that's not historically how farms have been operated uh but it's very effective labor saving technique right, you know because if what, everything's the same you can run a giant tractor off it but what could fix the topsoil issue on these enormous places you gotta well you're gonna have to find a real topsoil guy not, I'm not but it doesn't that a big not, part not a i mean guy. food has got to be a big part of having a billion people they have to eat well right? i just i'm just i'm trying to say to you right so like we have a global food system now obviously there are people who are hungry in the world but it's a distributional question like the world is not anywhere short of food right moving and the united states is not short of food moving more people into the united states does not cause a food scarcity problem there are a lot of other issues right like one billion americans it's not it's not everything like we got to think about our energy system our agriculture system all our kind of agriculture um environmental type stuff but i think those problems exist one way or another the other question is moving a bunch of people into the country yeah that don't exist here right now yeah what would change with the quality of life for the people that live there and mm -hmm. would there be an adverse impact yeah i mean i don't think so i mean i talk a lot in the book about the studies of the uh it's called mario boat lift sort of influx of people from cuba into miami circa 1980 uh, scarface been, yeah scarface um it Seems gave like us it was negative <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yes, the portrayal in Scarface is a little bit negative. Um, the statistical work indicates that, you know, it was good. Pay for most people went up. Uh, Miami's cool. People like to go there. Pay went up. You know why? Cocaine. All the cocaine. It, <laughs> it just did it's it. A all. lot of cocaine over there. You no, know I mean there was just a just a look at all of these Venezuelans who have moved to Colombia because of the sort of terrible stuff that's happening mm-hmm. in Venezuela, and it was the same thing. It was like wages for Colombians didn't go down. Uh, there was a study about uh, Hurricane Maria, which drove a lot of people from Puerto Rico into the Orlando area, and so pay for construction workers went down, but pay for people who work in restaurants and retail stores went up to offset it. So I think that kind of immigration. Like, it, it just can be great. I mean, it enriches culture. It's fine economically. Of course, you don't want 600 million people to just, like, come tomorrow. Right. Um, the, you know. So what's the plan to need, get us to a billion? You need controlled chaos. How much time for controlled chaos? It's like an 80-year time schedule. Um, so years. two parts, right? So there's the immigration part, and then there's we got to give people with young kids uh, more money. Give them more money. Yeah, give them money. Get, who's we? Like, the government. The government has to give people with kids more money. What, yeah. do, you, what do you mean by that? Um, most countries have, they call it a child allowance. So parents of young children get a few hundred dollars a month to help with the financial cost. They just get it kids. from the government. Yeah. And where's the money come from? Like taxes. Where, I mean, where does money come from? So to give everyone who has children a few hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month... Yeah. How much is that going to cost? It's about $98 billion. And where does that money come from? It comes from taxes. You taxes. You, so you, you increase people... the amount of taxes that people pay? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, childless people will be subsidizing people with like two or three kids. Do you think that's going to be popular? Yeah, people like it. I don't know about that. Mike Lee likes it. You know, he's a Republican. Mike, Mike Lee, okay. Um, do you think that there would be a lot of pushback on this idea? Because it seems like you're asking for people to pay for other people's lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I am. I think that's the American way. I mean, we got to pay for the health care of people who are sick. I think we got to pay for like the needs of families with children. So this, like, we pay for social security, right? Type thing, uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, at least for for kids, right? I mean, so look, if you're elderly, you mm-hmm. get social security money right. in the United States, right? And like we think that's important. Retirement, it's something that we value. It, as is a there society. a cutoff in if your uh, your income is like say over X amount of money per, uh, per year? Yeah, you, you could would... you could structure it that way, right? So one way to do it is to phase it out. So if you're making you know over a hundred k or whatever, you don't get the money. Um, the other way is to have more affluent people pay higher taxes. I mean, there's different ways to make it work mathematically. I don't have a sort of dogmatic view about it personally. I like the completely universal program. Uh, but, you know, if the politicians want to Completely do it, universal, meaning if you make a million dollars a year, you still will get a couple hundred bucks a month if you have kids. Yeah, just like Bill Gates is going to get his Social Security. Hmm. I think Bill should opt the fuck out. How about that? Well, you know, he's probably just going to give it away one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, he probably will. Yeah, a lot of people will. <laughs> um, it just seems like this is a kind of, this is a, a crazy tax situation now. Like to pay for all this, like it's not that. Much. I mean, they. Well, just... you're talking about a billion people. You're not even just talking about the people that exist now. 
Well, right, so we're talk- talking about people having more kids. So uh, Justin Trudeau's government, they implemented a policy like this in Canada last year, maybe two years ago. They do a phase out, you know, like you were suggesting. So it's only people, I think it's like the bottom 60 or 70% of the Canadian uh, income service from get it. It's a very effective way to combat child poverty. Uh, the Trump administration, they wouldn't put it this way, but they, in their tax law, they expanded the child tax credit and sort of took a step in this direction. So mm. it's it's, I think, less radical than you might think. I mean, if the, you know, Senate Republicans were doing it, at least moving in that way, uh, it's a pretty liberal idea. I mean, Democrats, uh, Sherrod Brown and Michael Bennett had a proposal that's similar to this. They call it the American Families Act. Um, so there's a, you know, a fair amount of political support for these kind of ideas. Um, and I think it could it could do a lot to reduce child poverty, which is good. I think it's, it's sad uh, to have kids growing up in poverty and to, you know, strengthen families, which is something conservative people care about, um, as well as more progressive minded people. So I think it's good. Well, I, I certainly am in favor of doing anything that's possible to lessen child poverty and child starvation and hunger and child health care and making sure that people are taken care of. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with a billion people yeah. and you've got X amount of $100 per month that's going to how many hundreds of millions of families. Well, but it's also I more taxpayers, you know. How you think this is only a few billion dollars? This sounds like it's in the trillions. Like what Well, no, it, sorry, sorry, sorry. How much to would be it clear? Be? Beca- because it replaces some of the existing child support replaces programs. like what are you going to get rid of? So, you there's uh, the Well, so a lot of people currently get the child tax credit. Okay. Right. So you fold it into the new program. Um, that's the main thing. So the net cost, I mean, $98 billion a year, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's what it costs. That's what it costs to give this few hundred dollars per yeah, month to expand to it. all these families. Mm-hmm. To and, lower income and families. And what would you get rid of? I say, you know, you get rid of child tax credit, you get rid of some of the uh, tax-deferred savings accounts, like the the 529 uh, Mm -hmm. for kids' college tuition, because these are other ways the government funnels money to families with kids, but usually in regressive ways that mostly help rich people. A lot of people have a real problem with universal basic income, and then the same people that have a problem Mm -hmm. with welfare. They think that it it reduces incentives. Mm -hmm. It uh, reduces people's desire to Mm -hmm. do better, and it increases their reliance on the state. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? I just don't think that's right. How so? I mean, I don't think that a modest supplement to people's incomes uh, makes the difference between whether or not they, like want to go out and, and well, desperation work. is the mother of invention right when people are desperate they do things that make them you know they work harder to to try to get ahead and a lot of times people with families and they realize that oh my god i have to take care of these family this family and these people that i love so dearly i'm gonna really bust my ass and work hard yeah and the the human nature perspective is that if you give people a safety net they always use it if you tell people they have to go out there and they have to earn their own, they're forced into action, and most people will go out there and figure it out. But if you say you don't have to figure it out, here's some money, and what we're going to do is we're going to take this money from people that are already successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, this is why I am not talking about like the full UBI, right, where you just get this money 
like whatever, you know, um, twelve hundred bucks a month or whatever it is. Young kids doing uh-huh. nothing. You know, I'm talking about families with kids, extra because kids just come with costs, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, to help people out with that, I think you are still easily at the margin where going out and working and having some more money makes a real difference in your life and in the life of your family. And do you um, think that this will to strengthen... get people out of poverty? Yeah. Uh, you know, also economically speaking, right? It's like the value of having somebody work 70 hours a week as opposed to 40 as a low-paid retail worker, like, that's not high to society. Like, there's no need for people to be working, like, crazy hours I think trying the to idea scrape together is that the, they, the most medium The best-case scenario is that they work their way up. Right, so they work really hard in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then they use that money to get themselves out of a jam, and then they keep improving their condition. And fig- that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Obviously, there's examples that we could both pull of pro and con, you know, where it works and where it, it fails miserably, and you know, people's lives fall apart, and you don't take care of your children, and they grow up all fucked up because their parents aren't home because they're working for a small amount of money. Look, I think that we have more cases where people are going to be able to work their way up if they, as children, are well taken care of. Mm, You know, if they have stable housing and a stable food supply and things like that. I think that that is the barrier that we can overcome, Yeah, right, to let people sort of have that kind of upward mobility rather than saying, well, we got to, like, crack the whip. Along the lines of what Bill Gates is saying is about making sure that children are healthy and that it pays off in the long run. Yeah, I mean, he's talking on on the very very low level of, you know, the developed world and basic vaccinations. But, yeah, I mean, to say to somebody in Kenya, like, well, if you want your kids to not get sick and die, like, maybe go work a little fucking harder, man. Like, that's... Crazy, well, that's like Kenya, that's right, right. That's Kenya. No, no, no. I mean, Amer- it is in America. The, uh, obviously, there's more opportunity. There is more opportunity, and 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 that's why a lot of people want to come here. Yeah. But I still think that fundamentally, we get more out of human possibility by helping people as kids, right? Than we do by being harsh on them as adults. I agree. The pr- The problem that people have with relying on the government also is that you're relying on the government to divvy up this money correctly. Mm-hmm. And then you're relying on the government with no auditing at all. You don't get a, a, an account balance sheet of mm-hmm. where your taxes went. That the government's going to do what they always do when you give them plenty of money. They're going to waste it. There's a lot of suspicion of the government in America. This is not a country of people who love the state, uh, have a lot of confidence in government programs. I think at the same time, Social Security is something that people really like and appreciate because actually cash benefits are much more transparent than the idea that like sometimes people will say it's very fashionable in the business world to be like, well, we need these like complicated like job training programs and we're going to give people the skills they need. And you know what sounds great? Like, I would like people to have skills. I could use some skills. I don't know. Uh, But, like, does anyone really believe that, like, Congress is going to sit down and, like, make a program that trains everyone? Like, that to me is unrealistic. They could definitely send money around. I mean, they send money to old people. Uh, They send veterans benefits. They can send family benefits to people. So they can send money, but they can't create job programs? They can't create training programs. Right, I don't think so. It's hard. It's hard for the government to guess 
what's going to be useful mm. to employers. You know, that's the kind of thing that's that's left better. I don't want to wreck the vibe, but I think I I'm going to have to get to the airport. Oh no! No need to rectify, dude. We did three hours already. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, no. Listen, thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and good luck with your book. And it's a it's a fascinating and it's a it's an intriguing topic, and it it, it definitely opens up a lot of debate. Thank I don't you. know if I agree with you or not. <laughs> I hope you're right. I hope it works out. Well, this is great. This is like a ton of fun. I, I, I enjoyed. It I'm very really much. flattered thank to be you. on thank here. You. Thank you. My so pleasure. Much. Thank you very much. And good awesome. luck. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.